All right. After the brief disturbance last week, you know, I'm just I'm ready to finally just watch some WCW on my own. Good. All right. Just going to my house, opening the door. What? Dirty dog, why are you why are you here at my house? I need to know this information. Beverly Hills, you know too much already. Hey dirty dog, I hear you calling. I think it's time for the show. The sleep hold has got me confused, but maybe here we go. Mr. Hills and the dog from Maine, Event Status Radio. They're recording again. Aha. Bagels and biceps all over my screen. What are we supposed to do? Recorded live in Daytona Beach, Florida. Recorded live from the Ocean Center. There are two things we enjoy. Chewing bubblegum and podcasting. And we're all out of bubblegum. I am the Dirty Dog Darcy. This is Main Event Status Radio. We are talking the Bash of the Beach 1996. And who's here with me? The greatest podcast partner I could ask for. The Twisted Steel and Sex Appeal himself, Mr. Beverly Hills 90210. Beverly, what's a happening? Oh, not too much, man. The culmination of the Great American Bash at the Beach 1996 series. I'm ready for it, dude. I am I'm very, ready for it. I am sad that this is it, Mr. Beverly Hills. In words Bittersweet. Of, in words of Huey Lewis, if this is it, please tell me so. If this it, it's it. If this ain't love, baby, I gotta go. No, it, it is love, but Good. it is it. <laughs> well, in regards to WCW, I guess we got to go, Mr. Beverly Hills, after this, <laughs> after we're done with this pay-per-view. Yeah, we'll go somewhere else. <laughs> yes. Then as apropos for this series, Mr. Beverly Hills, please give me some details about the Ocean Center in Daytona Beach. Right on. So in all the clips that I've watched of Bash at the Beach 1996, I don't know if I was like combining it with previous Bashes at the Beach or what, but I always thought it was outside. It definitely isn't. You know, it is I in, think, in an arena. I think 95 was the only time it was outside Okay, because they're also filming the the, Be- the Baywatch episode. <laughs> the Baywatch episode, yeah, right? That Hogan, Savage Flair, and Vader were also in. <laughs> right on. So, okay, so the Ocean Center in uh, Daytona Beach, Florida, opened in 1985. Also, uh, also one of our newer arenas. Yeah, right. the last few weeks. Probably newest uh, out of us. So, uh, opened 1985. Um, the first concert was by uh, maybe an act that more up your alley, Christian Pops, Amy Grant. Uh a couple of days later, John Denver was the grand opening. I laugh um, at John Denver because I had a, a elementary school teacher that loved John Denver and a fellow classmate <laughs> that loved John Denver and brought a CD of his in one day in the 
our teacher made us listen to like the that most popular song of that John's Denver CD in class. Oh my gosh, are we thinking maybe like a uh, maybe a Rocky Mountain High song or? Honestly, I don't remember what song uh, it is. Okay, I just came to memory, but it would have had to be right around this time, right around '96. <laughs> this is one of the greatest things that I've heard of. Take me home, dirty dog, to a place I belong. Okay. Thank God I'm a I'm a dirty dog. That could be the other. Oh, oh, oh. So um, <laughs> so both this is a weird one because this is mostly like a convention center. It's not like an arena. So we only have a very few. Uh, here it's not as nearly as fun as some of the other ones we have the daytona beach sun devils uh hockey team wait wait uh, wait, wait, wait yeah there's ice out in florida inside the ocean center oh, there is makes sense, makes sense. <laughs> and, and then after they closed down the daytona beach breakers were there which i looked up the Tona Beach Breakers, and weirdly, I don't, okay, like, if you're the Breakers, their logo is a dragon, so, like, that doesn't really make sense. Well, I guess a dragon can break the ice, Gorilla. Oh, I, I get, oh, oh, there you go. Okay, <laughs> so then we got two football teams, the Daytona Beach Thunder and the Daytona, and the Daytona Beach Thunderbirds. Birds. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta play, gotta play off the you know, previous team's name, so it makes total guess, sense. Total sense. That's man. <laughs> that's it. Not a lot. That, that's a surprise, Gorilla. <laughs> and for this pay per view, my Ruku told me that All right, tell you. one of the most historic events in pro wrestling history: Randy Savage, Sting, and Lex Luger face the Outsiders and a mystery partner. You got it. So the show opens up kind of different from the Great American Bash pay-per-view we watched a month prior. You know, with the Bash of the Beach logo coming on, and we see some look like news clips kind of video package <laughs> yeah. of Scott Hall and Kevin Nash debuting and being a hostile takeover. The hostile takeover. And I did do a little bit of research from off the WWE Network on Daily Motion, and what we heard on the WWE Network is what, song they did use on the pay-per-view broadcast and i feel like it was a cheesy crappy theme song i could have told you that because when they come out later they use that song and i trained my ear it is the actual song it was crap i thought the video (laughs) package was crap i enjoyed the great american bash intro i was hoping we would got the same thing for the bash of the beach (laughs) <laughs> it was crap. You're amazing. Then once we got into the arena, pew, 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 the pyro was going off. And Tony <laughs> Tony tells us that w- there's never been a night like this before. Which <laughs> yeah, I, of I course, popped. man. I popped. Of course it is. To Tony, I, I like the idea that every day Tony Shivani wakes up and he says to his wife, or I don't know if he's married, but to whoever he's. Is, this is the greatest day in history. I just love the idea that Tony is so like bright-minded that he just every day 
is the best day ever. Yes. And I <laughs> I do enjoy Tony's energy for the opening of the pay-per-view. And I guess what yeah. we get Bobby Heating and Dusty Rhodes for the color commentators for the show and we were talking off air about it and I guess what's your thoughts on 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 the record about Bobby Heating and Dusty <laughs> Bobby? Yeah, about Bobby and Dusty being the color guys for the pay-per-view. Well, to be honest, I kind of feel that like Bobby brings it down a little bit. I because I uh, Dusty, you know, he was on point at the Great American Bash, and I feel like uh, Dusty kind of brings it down. Um, no, Bob, yeah, Bobby brings it down, and especially in when we get to the first match here, I think he's utterly terrible. Fair enough. Uh, I guess during some, uh, you know, a few matches later on, which we'll get to, I enjoyed having Bobby and Dusty there because, you know, having Bobby as a former wrestling manager and Dusty Rose being a former wrestler himself and a former world champion, I enjoyed the different aspects and avenues that they bring into the broadcast during different during different matches and especially for the main event for the hostile takeover. But like, like you mentioned off there that I feel like Dusty Rhodes didn't have as many great lines for this pay-per-view as he did the last pay-per-view, which I guess you know, now looking at it is sad because we both greatly enjoyed Dusty Rhodes at the Great American Mash. Right, yeah. Then, yeah, Bischoff, not Bischoff, Tony, Bobby, and Dusty were talking about, yeah, Bish, they don't know where Bischoff is and we're pondering about the third man is, then Dusty wants to push put the, paper, the main event on first, which yes. made me laugh. I thought that was funny. <laughs> then we get the opening uh, contest, Mr. Beverly Hills. Never before in the history of this great sport has there been a night like this one. A capacity crowd is on hand at the Ocean Center in Daytona Beach, Florida. And welcome as World Championship Wrestling presents the Bash at the Beach. But it's more than just the Bash at the Beach. It is the attempt of the hostile takeover. And tonight... In front of millions worldwide, in front of a capacity crowd, questions will be answered. Hi, everyone. Tony Schiavone, Dusty Rhodes, Bobby the Brain Heenan. Brain, Dusty and I have had a chance to talk for a long time during the pregame about what has transpired. We do not know where Eric Bischoff is, and we don't know yet who the third man is. A lot of butterflies going to the big six-man tag later on tonight. You should see the energy level in the back. I would have thought everybody would have been solemn, sitting around, scratching their heads, wondering. No, everybody's up. The energy level is a 10 back there. It's the highest I've ever seen it. Where Eric Bischoff is, is the talk back there right now. They can bring on their third guy, fourth, fifth, it doesn't matter. They're ready back there. How about a dream? Well, I tell you what, we're tired of talking about it. We all here to bash you to be just, as he said, the energy is so high, the level is so high, the, the things that could come out of this are so tempting to go ahead and say, let's put this thing on first. Let's put that match on and go with it, and let's do this thing. Eric Bischoff, is he held hostage? We don't know. Who the third guy is, we don't know. Let's do this thing, Tony. We know it's Sting, Lex Luger, and the Macho Man against the Outsiders, and whoever the third man is, it will transpire in this three-hour broadcast. Here we go to kick off let's the match at the beach. Over with. Come on. Yep. Psychosis versus Rey Mysterio Jr., and I think right around the time when the yeah, psychosis was coming down to the ring, we get Mike today to join the broadcast team, which I think a four-man broadcast team is way too much. 
Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, Bobby just feels like he kind of needs to like get in where he fits in here. And he does that by throwing in kind of snarky comments. And I don't like that at all. Yeah. Which I totally agree with you. And I guess, you know, because it's my fan, what's your thoughts on Mysterio's tights? You know, like the dark blue and the white diaper. Uh, they're fine. I guess I don't really didn't notice it too much. What's your thoughts on his half mask? Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the one with the the back of back of the head showing. Yeah, see, I, I like the full here. mask. Yeah, as I say, yeah, I agree with you. I like the full mask. Yeah, not a big fan of the yeah the open back mask. Yeah, it's more my style, I guess. Then I'll kick it to you for the for the match, Mr. Beverly. All right. So I just my first question, I guess, is why is Ray not challenging Malenko on this pay per view? What's the reasoning here? I have no clue. I was actually one questioning that during the cruiserweight title match. Too that you know we've seen you know weeks prior we've seen Disco and nothing but dance, and we just saw that one approach the one in-ring promo with. Uh, or segment with Disco and Malenko, so and they never had any connections prior to that. In weeks prior, Disco has always been a the goofball. So Disco lost to Joe Gomez. I feel like that it really it begins and ends with that. The fact that Disco lost to Joe Gomez, he shouldn't be able to challenge for any title ever. Yeah, but then again, it wasn't Mysterio's WCW debut at. The Great American Bash, and he his first match uh, was for he, the title. Okay, for some he reason, might have been, but I'm not sure. For some reason, I thought that was, but I do agree with you that you know, mm-hmm. like I said, weeks prior, Disco never rise for the series. We never seen Disco as a cruiserweight. You know, in the cruiserweight division, never really cared for the cruiserweight title. Period. Right. Right on. Okay, so that was so that was my first. Thing. Just feel like after two competitive. Uh, Losses to Malenko, I feel like he should get a chance, but I get, I guess I get why not. Yeah. So, um, Ray starts out wanting a handshake, but Psychosis just looks at it and and looks away. Um, oh, have you ever watched? Do you have the, um, I don't even know what it's called, the ECW DVD set? Uh, which one? I don't know what it's called. The first one. Uh, the bloodiest matches, or no, no, the whatever rise and fall, oh, or I think, called. yeah, or oh, the like the oh, the the original ECW documentary that WWE yes, done. Right. Yeah, yep. I do. It's probably it's been packed up in a Tupperware thing <laughs> that, and I haven't seen it in probably year, year and a half. Okay, the uh, the match. It's a two out of three falls match between these two, Psychosis and Mysterio, yeah. and it's awesome. It's really, really fantastic. Oh, so a lot better and, than this match. Uh, I don't know if I'd go a lot better because I think this match is really awesome too. But uh, that match is really cool because they really go all all the way around the ECW arena. What, um, was that, that two out of three falls match, did that happen like on regular ECW TV? Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure where it's from. Okay. Oh, just curious because I thought I saw on Twitter within the last month from WWE Network plugging, I think, some Rey Mysterio match. So. Okay, could have been. I don't know. 
Yeah, because I throughout this whole match, I just kept thinking about that match and how much I really um, enjoyed it and how I liked it better, I guess. But it, I don't know. It's hard to upping that one because it's so good, in, in my opinion. But um, so Ray starts by arm-dragging Psychosis all the way out to the, the barricade. Um, back in the ring, Ray locks on a half-crab. Um Brain, here's the first example of him just being an idiot. He's preoccupied with their hair. He's like, oh, Ray has hair like Demi Moore. And then later he's like, oh, psychosis has got a Peg Bundy look. And I'm like, come (laughs) on, dude. Like, just shut up. Like, just shut up. Like, if you can't add to it, like, just stop talking. Uh, But um, do you feel like, do you feel like uh, Bobby being. Trying to add in com- com- uh, comedy when not needed. Do you think feel like that was too much for the pay per view? In this match, okay. And in this match, he was utterly terrible, in my opinion, because his his jokes just didn't hit. They're just bad. Okay, because I know we all talked about that in the replays too. But yeah, I totally agree with you on that. All right, so um, psychosis. He. Uh, picked the, the moves that I really liked. So he locked him in kind of a back scissors. Like he scissored his legs around both of Mysterio's arms, uh, stretching him out. And I thought that looked really cool. Um, after a series of back and forths, Ray got an arm drag. Uh, then he missed a moonsault and psychosis hit a cool spin kick. Um, yeah. This is this is so after this first kind of like five ten minute segment, uh, psychosis gains the advantage and he grounds uh, Ray some some groundwork and other holds and stuff. He slams him and then he hits his kind of one of his trademark moves, which is the um, top rope guillotine lap drop. What okay. do you think about that move? I I enjoyed it. That I feel like in. Special matches, like I guess, like at pay per views, pull it out. But I don't really want to see the guys pull it out on a nightly basis, knowing that they gotta, they're jumping off from the top rope, you know, four or five feet up and landing on your butt like that. <laughs> I guess, yeah. And and I I thought I might as well jump in too. I think right around that point, uh, yeah, like I said, Mike Tenay was the fourth man for the three man color commentating booth, and couple couple notes that I I took down for what Mike Tenay said that. Mysterio's idol growing up with Scott Steiner, and he perfected the Frankensteiner from any position. Okay. And yep. yeah, I guess another note about Bobby making jokes was that Bobby mentioned that Mysterio is known in San Diego as a San Diego chicken. I knew you were going to write that. <laughs> then I guess another note from Mike Tenay that I enjoyed was at this pay-per-view, Ray Mysterio was 21 years old and Psychosis was 25. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to pose this question mr beverly hills okay do you think you and i made the wrong career decision why just think what we where we could be right now in our upper 20s seeing that where ray mysterio and psychosis was in their early to mid 20s yeah but that's the thing is they started when ray started when he was 14 and, and uh, psychosis started when he was 18, so 
you would have had to make a decision a lot long, a lot more uh, early than you uh, are alluding to, even. Mr. Beverly Hills, it's never too late for us to make the decision now. But you just <laughs> said it was. Like, you, you just went against what you just said. Whatever, Mr. Beverly Hills, let's become professional wrestlers and be the greatest tag team ever. God, I didn't. <laughs> you can't go against what you just said. <laughs> really. <laughs> I guess you can say I'm the Bobby Heating of the podcast, Gorilla. I don't know. I don't know, man. I'll kick it back to you. All right. <laughs> so, um, so Psychosis did another leg drop while Ray had his head draped over the bottom rope. So he jumped over the ropes onto the ring apron um, while his head was across the bottom. And I thought that was awesome. Uh, this, the, to be honest, the Psychosis uh, control segment of this match was fantastic uh just like it's almost like the malenko matches up even because you have the the same power moves that malenko is able to hit but add to the fact that he can also do some high flying stuff too and and then add to that that they have such a good chemistry because then you get psychosis nearly taking ray's head off with a uh, clothesline um, yeah, and, uh, I, I really liked the interesting dynamic of, um, Psychosis working Ray's head and neck, which that isn't a common, uh, body work area. Usually it's, you know, arm or legs. So I thought the idea of hitting these, um, clotheslines, and leg drops and draping him over the rope and stuff like that. I thought that was an interesting dynamic. Well, especially for like cruiserweight matches, that you know, it's like you know, in the series we've seen Dean Malenko working, like I said, the arm or the leg, especially when he's facing a opponent that's known for their speed, like Rey Mysterio. You know, working the leg for they can't move as quick. They can't do some of their flying flips and all that. Hmm. Yeah, I just, I just think it's – and I thought you were going to go this direction, which is what I'll pick up. But usually, like, cruiserweight matches get a kind of a bum rap for not having psychology at all. Like, it's just a go, go, go until the finish where this one has elements of that, but it's all really kind of backdropped with that. And I feel bad almost because these, the announcers really didn't point to that. Like, even – Tanae, he was just kind of preoccupied with calling moves, which whatever, that's fine. But then one of the other ones should have noticed that pretty much all of Psychosis' offense was directed towards Ray's head and neck. And I feel like it would have, for somebody especially maybe <clears throat> across the podcast waves, who is driven a lot by what the announcers say, I feel like your opinion may have been a lot higher of this match yeah. if they would have actually I, said that. I am surprised, I guess, like what you were saying, that you know, with Mike today calling the moves and Tony being the main play-by-play man, I'm surprised Tony wasn't yes. noticing the psychology aspect. You know, since Mike today was you know, taking control of the calling the moves, being like the Joy Styles of the, of right. the, of the match, I'm surprised, yeah, to, like you said, Tony wasn't you know, yeah, trying to yeah, pick up on, like what you said, the psychosis work on the head and neck. Yeah, I feel like that would fall to Tony. So, um, 
a couple Ray did get a, an advantage for a minute. He was working the step over toehold part of the of like what we usually see in an STF. He would never lock down the face lock, but did the first part. So he would, you know, step on the quad, grab the leg part. Um then he put psychosis in the corner almost like he was setting him up for like a nut punt or shattered dreams that's the word that i was trying to that's the move that i was trying to think of like he was going to set him up for the shattered dreams kick but then he goes and he drop kicks him right in the chest which i thought <laughs> looked well, good painful. Way for, good way for not good way to, to make sure your opponent doesn't move and all that right on yeah um and then that's just i feel like in this match in total they're just not protecting themselves at all. That's cool. They're just like, yeah, kick me right in the chest. Uh, yeah, I'll jump right on my ass, you know, <laughs> whatever. Um, because then the next move is um, Psychosis throws uh, Ray out to the floor and then he jumps out from the top rope and hits a senton on the floor. What a just he's he's going balls out. And I appreciate that from psychosis here. Well, yeah, um, I, know, I think, yeah, I did take note that I think like moments before that, sent down from the top to the floor that uh, psychosis hit a reverse DDT to Mysterio. I yep. put down in my notes, ouch. <laughs> yeah. That, I, I just think that, that that reverse DDT looked like, yeah, like you mentioned that they weren't really protecting themselves or e- or each other much in, in the match. Yeah, but it looked awesome. Yeah. It looked awesome. So after that senton psychosis hit the hit an enzigiri and then and this is when Bobby is just again just grading me because he's like, How do you know all those new all those move names? I think you're just making them up. And I'm like, just shut up. Just shut up. Just why are you talking right now? So uh then psychosis locked on a camel clutch and he took it the next level because he grabbed the inside of Ray's mouth and started pulling. And I always think when when a guy puts a camel clutch on then does the fish hook move, I'm like, oh, that's next level stuff right there. And you're talking <laughs> the camel clutch, I don't know why psychosis keeps letting go of the hold. Okay. I don't know. I guess it's some, something that, I guess, aggravates me a lot. Irritates me that okay. if you got your opponent in a smooching hold like that and they don't get the ropes, why break? <laughs> I don't know. So Ray hit a cartwheel into a Hurricane Rana, which looked cool, and then he right out of that he hit a springboard dropkick, and now the fans are finally starting to get into this match and really pick up on it, which I I appreciated that. I was like, okay, all right, we got the fans into it, which is big. Um. After Ray hit another Rana. Tony claims that it was nearly fatal. <laughs> he goes, he goes, that one was nearly fatal. And I'm like, oh, well then, Tony. <laughs> um, so Ray hit another st- springboard dropkick and a twisting springboard moonsault, which looked freaking fantastic. But he did hit his knee on the uh, um, barricade there. And uh, I guess next to the finish, so I'll let you take it over on here. That uh, I just took note of pretty much like the finishing move that psychosis. No, then no. If you don't have the whole house, okay, yeah, go shop ahead. again. There's more than just the final move. So Ray goes up for a springboard hurricane rana, but psychosis hits a power bomb. Then psychosis goes for the splash mountain, which also can be known as the razor's edge, I guess. 
and then Ray slips out of it and hits his Hurricane Rana for his pin. Yes, and I, yeah, Mysterio is the winner, and I ready this match, Mr. Beverly Hills, three and a half stars. All right, this is a four and a quarter star match for me. I thought this match was tremendous. I felt like this is one of the best openers I've seen in a long time, and probably one of the best I can remember on a pay-per-view, up next to Owen and Brett from WrestleMania 10. In my notes during the match, I did put down, I don't know how they're going to follow this opening match. Yeah, I don't know either. (laughs) We'll see how they try to follow it, by the way. I feel like they're like, okay, let's put the worst possible match on next just to bring the crowd down. And and I think they succeed at that because this next match blows. Yeah, but before we get there, like I mentioned earlier that I can see where you're coming from on, on Bobby kind of shatting on <laughs> on things when because during the replays bobby it was bobby's job to try to explain what was going on and he said told he told the fans you guys can figure out the moves i don't use words mike today uses that's stupid then we because he's just he's just like downplaying how awesome it was just to be like well i'm better than that like that's stupid that's mike today stuff i think that's just so dumb yeah, then we sent, and Tony sends it to me and Gene, who's with the United States champion Conan, and Gene did ask Conan to explain the final sequence, which <laughs> made me laugh, because I feel like Gene... so weird! I feel like Gene was just, was pulling an, another Bobby. Then, yeah, oh, I didn't think that was that bad. I don't think Gene was downplaying it, though. He was just like, what was the finish, Conan? <laughs> then, yeah, then, yeah, Gene was with Conan, which I enjoyed Conan's promo, because I feel like he tried to build up Ric Flair and build up the match that if Conan beats Flair, he's beating somebody mentioning that Flair is a 13-time World Heavyweight Champion and Flair seems overconfident and Flair has all all the reasons to be, like I said, a former 13-time World Heavyweight Champion up to that point. Right on. Yeah, he talked up his accolades like you were talking about and and then he also said he's cautious of the entourage he hasn't been there long enough to build one of his own, but he did say that if any of the girls got out there, he'd punch them. <laughs> and he said, like, if if the football player gets in the or gets involved, he's on a chop block. I mean, oh yeah, that's right. I I got a good chuckle out of that a little bit. <laughs> well, these get two the men are going to be sore tomorrow morning and tonight. They're going to be sore for a long time. This was a tremendous, tremendous athletic wrestling match. Bash at the Beach pay-per-view. Yeah. Everywhere, and they love it. As Bash at the Beach continues, here it is again, Brain. Uh, take a look at some of this. Well, Junior comes off that top rope to the floor with uh, some kind of an inverted Frankensteiner. I don't know what this is called. This is called a Frankensteiner. You people watch it and figure it out. I can't call it. I don't use the words tenadas. This is a dissing horse and a backflip there. A dissing horse. Good. Like Your that. winner is Ray Mysterio Jr. Here it is again. That was the winner, but we thought, wow, it actually hit his. That's to keep him from flapping. Yeah, that's what it is. It is Achilles tendon that time. Your winner is Ray Mysterio. Our thanks to Mike today as we go to meet Gene. Let's speak English now. Okay. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. I cannot believe it. Uh, we were just talking about that match we just saw very quickly. Conan is U.S. champ. Uh, describe for me what happened in that, in that last match. What was that final move? Well, Psychosis there? brought him up for a top rope splash mountain, and Rey Mysterio caught him in the air with a top rope Frankensteiner. All right. I know for a fact that last night you wrestled in Mexico. You've had a hard day of travel in uh, jetting to Los Angeles 
then back here to uh, Florida. Tonight, I talked earlier on with the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. He seems to me to be very confident. I might even say, Conan, he is overconfident. This title is on the line. Flair wants it badly. Well, maybe he's got reason to be overconfident. You know, he's done it all. He's won that world title 13 times. Nobody's else, nobody else has done that. But tonight I'm overly cautious because every, everywhere he goes, he has an entourage. I haven't been here long enough to form an alliance. I haven't been here long enough to be afforded that luxury. But I'll tell you something, Ric Flair. If your manager gets in the match, I'll cripple him. If one of the women get into the match, I'll clothesline him. If that football player gets into the match, I'll chop block him. But Ric Flair, I'm going back home with this U.S. title. All right, uh, I would say this man has uh, got his act together after a long day of travel. Conan with a title defense coming up here at the Bash Arriba at the Beach. Mexico. Right now, let's get you back up to the ring for more action. Then we get the next match of the night. Here uh, we go, man. Here Car we go. A Carson City silver, silver dollar on a pole match. <laughs> oh, God. With Big Bubba, with Jimmy Hart, take on John Tenta. And I have to ask Mr. Beverly Hills. What's up? Where's Carson City at? That's in Nevada. It's the capital of Nevada. Okay, then why are they having a capital city Nevada match in Florida? Because the silver dollars. It's uh, I don't I don't know why. I no, I do know why. Silver silver is a large export, not currently, but it, classically of Nevada. There were lots of silver mines, so that's the deal there. Makes sense. And when. Both guys are coming down to the ring. I asked myself, how could either man climb up that pole to grab that sock? Oh my God! I looked at that pole. This the my my recollection. I look at that and I go, "Is that pole like sixty feet tall? It is ridiculous. Probably without a joke, from the turnbuckle to the top of the pole is probably twenty feet." Yeah, I think I think give or take because if you Look in the guy, the these big guys, Bubba and Tenta are both standing on the turnbuckles. They're not even close. Yeah, even yeah, reaching up, up there. Yeah, reaching up there and not even yeah, close. And I assume you know with how tall they are reaching up, that's probably what it's gotta be ten or eleven yeah. feet at that point, yeah. And and I'd have to ask since I've noticed I noticed these small things. What's your thoughts on Tenta's only mustache look? I thought his mustache looked tremendous. That's I, when you take the the um, beard away and you got that cool ass mustache, I think just rock with that, dude. I feel like he to looked a lot different from the beard down to the mustache. Since yes. I've, I've always known him with the beard. <laughs> sure. In a ways, I feel like he he looks a lot older in in respects to just having the mustache. Sure. Yeah. What do you think about? It? See, this is. When you talk about details, how did I get this detail? What do you think about Bubba's motorcycle helmet? It totally makes sense since he serves hard times, baby. How? No, 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 no. How does it make sense? Because he's there to serve hard times, baby. Okay, and what does that have to do with the motorcycle helmet? He <laughs> he wants to protect. Like you're, you're just like non sequitur, baby. Let me just say something that doesn't make any sense. He's trying to protect himself from the look weight from the match before, baby. From what? What's he protecting himself from? The work rate from the match before, baby. Oh. Uh, I guess. <laughs> I have no clue why he's wearing a motorcycle helmet, especially since weeks prior joke, he dude. never had it out before. 
Yeah, it's just funny. So Tenta starts out with a shoulder block that chases Bubba to the outside. And this, as, you know, Bubba was taking powders with Jimmy Hart, I just thought to myself, could you imagine being at the Ocean Center and you saw that amazing Psychosis Ray Mysterio match, you know, 15, 20 minutes or whatever, and now this is in front of you. What what's going through your mind there? As you know, watching this nineteen years later, I was having <laughs> a tough time paying attention to the match and staying focused yeah. in the match, taking notes and all that. So if it was hard for me to pay attention, you know, watching it nineteen years later on a tape delay, <laughs> I'm sure the fans that are alive was having a tough time too. <laughs> right. So uh kind of the whole story of the match is that one of them goes up, the other one knocks him down. Then the other goes up, and they <laughs> get knocked yeah. down. So one of the notes I took down was uh, Bubba back suplex tent off the second rope, which yep. I did take that. I feel like it's probably the only way anybody could hit a back suplex on John Tenta. Yeah, but did you see that throw that Tenta did to Bubba before that? It was devastating. Yeah, it was tremendous. He That was... He, Way better, but the but the back suplex did look good too. Um, so Tenta realizes smartly that there's gonna be no way that he's climbing this freaking pole. So if Dusty wants him to bend it, by the way, that was his his reason. He goes, just bend it, baby. Just go up and bend the pole. So Tenta, not being an idiot, does not think he's going to the ball he goes and he's gonna loosen like the straps so these are straps that you like tie something down with and while he's doing that Bubba decides to disrobe and he takes off his belt and he first starts choking uh, Tenta with it uh, he's passing out as he's passing out he the first instance of several of tape <laughs> that comes into play so he tapes Tenta to the ropes uh, he punches him with just, the belt. Just one Go arm, on. by the way. Yes, yep, yep. He just ta- tapes the one arm. Um, he's whipping him. He's punching him, all this kind of stuff. Uh, then, you know, we nearly see a murder because Jimmy hands Bubba a scissors and he says, stab him, baby, stab him. No, he doesn't say that. <laughs> so he's going to cut, the, cut his mustache, I guess. No, or cut the rest of his hair is what he's going for. Um, stab him, baby, it, stab him. <laughs> and as he goes for it, Tentalo blows him, grabs the scissors, and instead of stabbing Bubba, he cuts himself loose. So fair enough. Um, I was going to say that. Did Big Bubba get that roll of tape from Hacksaw Jim Duggan? I don't know. It did kind of like appear out of nowhere, though. Like, all of a sudden, it, I'm sure it was from Jimmy, I guess, but yeah. a roll of tape was just thrown into the ring, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, jeez. So, um, yeah, Tenda goes over, and he's going to use the scissors to cut the the straps on the pole, um, but Bubba stopped him, of course, like like it was happening. Bubba did a really nice-looking spine buster, uh, and then smartly, he goes, tiny baby Jimmy Hart go up the pole <laughs> and and he does and uh tenta he 
he recovered not a lot of effect of stuff in this match. So Tender recovered very quickly, hit a huge power slam, and I'll let you take the finish here. We got yeah. Jimmy up on the uh, up on the pole, and yeah, he got the sock, and that this is when yeah when Tenta body slam Bubba and the crowd, you know, then Tenta was just standing in the corner looking up at Jimmy, you know, kind of smiling and laugh like, ho, 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 I got you, Jimmy. And the fa- fans were <laughs> popping for that, and Jimmy, how oh, Jimmy reacted, he thought the fans were excited, and he finally got the sock. <laughs> he got uh, the sock. Yeah, he got the sock, and that made me laugh when, yeah, then when then Jimmy got down to the top rope and turned around and saw a tent uh, was standing there, he's like, the just the facial expression, like, oh, crap, I should have put two and two together. Tenta, or not, sorry, not Tenta. Heart is one of the most oblivious uh, heels ever. This is like the third time in this feud where he's done something thinking that it's for his guy and then Tenta is behind him. Yeah. Like, <laughs> because, yeah, he's up on the pole and he's like swinging the sock around. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> and then he drops the sock to Tenta. <laughs> yeah, then I feel like yeah, I took note that Tenta body slammed Jimmy. Yep. Then yeah, then yeah, Tenta got the sock, uh, sacked Bubba. The fa- fans <laughs> popped, and he covered him with one hand, scored the pinfall victory. And I did note a few fans in the front row leaped to their feet for a celebration. Well, that's because John Tenta is easily the most likable person on this show. I rated this match one star only because of Jimmy Hart's uh, antics. Words. Yeah, antics, and how great Jimmy Hart sold. The fans popping for him getting the sock up on the pole. <laughs> I give it one star for Jimmy Hart's pole climbing abilities. Yes. Then because he like freaking raced up that pole. <laughs> the, yeah. And then did you see when he was coming down the pole? He like went. He like slid around it as if he was a fireman, and it made me very happy. I was like, oh man, he's even doing that. And I'm surprised he didn't even see Tento when he was doing that either. <laughs> yeah. Right. Then, That's uh, the obliviousness. That's what I'm talking about. How did he not see it? Then it then what Tenta did to Bubba made me think about think about something that you enjoyed, especially during the Death of WCW series that you mentioned that but that Tenta put a, a silver <laughs> dollar on each eyeball of, yes! of Big Bubba. Yes, you're correct. Almost as good as when Manga did it yes. later. Years years later to Eric Bischoff. Then we see some replays of the match. And all that, you know, we don't need to talk about it since we just talked about the match. It's uh, yeah. Then we go to the announcers, and they're putting over the main event. And, yeah, they still haven't heard anything about where Eric Bischoff is. And Tony asked Eric to somehow call into the broadcast to let them know how he's doing. Then Dusty put over. This is one thing yeah, I appreciate. I don't, I don't think you've addressed it. You're kind of alluding to something we haven't really talked about. So yeah, go ahead. the point is here that Bischoff has not been seen or heard from tonight. Yes. Yeah, you can't just be like, they're waiting for Bischoff. Well, yeah, they're waiting for Bischoff because they haven't heard from him. Yeah, th- thank you for yeah mentioning that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that, yeah then Tony asked Eric to call in, just let let them know how Bischoff is doing. Then t- one thing, this is one thing I appreciated about Dusty with you know being a former pro wrestler and all that. Dusty was telling telling us about you know before your big mid event match how you get butterflies in your stomach, you get nervous and all that and. And Dusty was yeah talking about that, putting that over and wanting the, you know how how when you're waiting for your mid event match, you wanted to want the rest of the card to hurry up and get done and over with for you can get in the ring and get get rid of those butterflies. 
Right on. Then, yeah, that's good insight. I like that a lot too. Then Bobby made me laugh, and he said that uh, he, he was even asking people who has nothing to do with Russell and who the third man is, and they absolutely <laughs> don't know. Awesome. That that was my reaction too when Bobby said that. So I'm like, I need to pause it and take note of that. <laughs> Times like this is when I appreciate Bobby as well. Right on, yeah. Then we go backstage again with me and Gene in the locker room with Lux Luger, uh, Randy Savage, and Steen, and this was a one crazy of a of a promo. Yes, it was. Uh, it's, Do you want me to be Yes. Please. Okay. They don't care who the third man is. It's going to be somebody, and he's going to get hurt, just like those other guys are going to get hurt. Equal opportunity, equal war, yeah. Yes, I am happy you took that note, because I think I mentioned, too, that, yeah, Savage said, yeah, said that, yeah, I don't care. I know it's going to be somebody. That's all what matters to me, yeah. I yeah. like that, then. Luger's talk about, yeah, or, yeah, Gene asked Luger how it must be hard to prepare for a guy they don't know, know who it is, and then Luger just talked about how the outsiders make a lot of noise, and now actions to speak louder than words. You got it, yep. Then, oh, then Steen, do you take any note what Steen said? Oh, I sure did. Okay, I'll let you t- say what Steen so said. So a lot of unknown, but the unknown gives me a dry mouth. It gives me chills, and it gives me goosebumps. Yes. We're a team. We're pumped, and we're ready. Uh, I wrote down all three started yelling walk off stage. I like this crazy promo. Yes. <laughs> And I like especially Macho and Stan, you know, putting over, you know, being crazy. Like they don't care who the third man is, you know. They're the the mysteries get them pumped, excited, and they want to hurt somebody. Yeah, I feel like to be honest, the the guy who's really gone to the background is Luger here. Yeah. He's he's not coming across well. He doesn't come across pumped. <laughs> um, you know, he says it's an honor and a privilege to be chosen, but I don't get that vibe really at all. So, yeah. Yeah, same here. I totally, totally agree with you. All right, fans, we have standing by Mean Gene in the locker room area. Still to come, Sting, Lex Luger, the Macho Man against the two outsiders, and the Mystery Man. Still no word on Eric Bischoff, none as of yet. Hopefully, if Eric is listening to this broadcast, Eric, please call in. Let us know, if you can, what is going on, because we have to focus on the match at hand, but we can't help forgetting about what is going on here tonight. Yeah, that's true, Tony. When you get this far into a game, when you're this far into a match, or you're this far into an event, then butterflies are taking over. You just want to get it over with. You want to get out and get after it. Our three guys are ready. The third guy, Bobby, as you know, you might not know, ask Woody who the third guy is, the guy that worked for you. We need to find out. And, and sooner or later, later, we got we got to find out. They got to deal the hand. We well, I've, I've, I've asked everybody. I've asked people that don't even know anything about wrestling. Nobody knows who the third man is. No one's talking. No one's saying anything. It smells funny to me. By 10 o'clock Eastern time tonight, we will have found out in the history of our sport as we know it for many, many years may have changed. With that, we go to Mean Gene Oakland. Gene? Again, gentlemen, I thank you very much. It is very tense back here in the locker room area coming up tonight. A match that uh, many have labeled as a hostile takeover match. These outsiders are going to have a third man joining them. They're going to be facing the Macho Man, Randy Savage, 
former tag team champions. They've held numerous titles. Of course, the current reigning uh, WCW World Television champ, the total package, Lex Luger Sting. Guys, I don't think I've addressed this. I'm assuming everybody is in the building right now, Macho. And uh, who do you think their third man is going to be? You know what? I don't care. I know it's going to be somebody. So that's really all that matters to me. Because he's going to get hurt just like those other guys are going to get hurt. This is equal opportunity, equal ward type situation. We're going to take him out, are we not? Lex Luger, it's got to be very, very difficult to prepare when you don't know who this third man is. That's very true, Gene, but we are prepared. You know, we've waited a long time for this. They've made a lot of noise, haven't they? A lot of loud noise. They've coming in and talking trash. The WCW was an honor and privilege to be chosen for this team. I speak on behalf of all of us, and we were represented well. We were represented to the best of our abilities. And you know what, guys? What is it? You know what point needs to be made here? Make the point, what is it? Thrown announcers through stages. You've talked real loud, but now actions speak louder than words. Isn't that right, oh, Stinger? Man. You know what the unknown does mean, Gene? The unknown gives me a real dry mouth. The unknown makes me a nervous wreck. The unknown puts chills right up and down my spine. I like that. That's good. The unknown gives me goosebumps all over my body. And you know something? It does the same thing to the macho man. It does the same thing to the total package. We are a team and we are pumped and ready. We're up for this one. You guys I better get it. Let's just go do it. Thank you very much, gentlemen. We are the total package. Lex Luger, Sting, and the Macho Man. Those three men collectively tonight to represent World Championship Wrestling in this gigantic hostile takeover match. I can never recall a match of this magnitude. It is big. Let's get back to the race. Self-high five. I want to echo something that Sting just said, gentlemen, if I could. He said, we are a team. And he speaks not only for the three men in the ring, but he speaks for Mean Gene. He speaks for our entire broadcast crew, from the people who, uh, who come here early, who came here last night to set up, from the people in the video truck putting on the broadcast, the people, the cameramen, the technicians, the grips, everyone involved. We are a team. We are World Championship Wrestling. And as we head into this match a little bit later on, never before have we felt like this, friend, and I'm just saying this from my heart, have I felt like this going into a match. Then we get the next, next match, the tape fist Lord of the Ring match with Diamond Dallas Page and Hector Dim Duggan. And I enjoyed seeing DDP coming down to the ring and trying to tape the camera. Oh, I didn't even see that. <laughs> it it made me laugh that yeah. He didn't he was, have any just like tape, did he? Well, he was walking around with a well he was since he tried to oh, the oh, camera guy was, you know, walking down with him. He tried to tape yeah, tape the camera like he was taping my TV. Oh. <laughs> and as usual, DDP is wearing turquoise tights and black trim so it wasn't as outrageous as weeks prior right yeah definitely a lot tame more tame something that didn't make any sense to me Mr. Beverly Hills when Hacksaw Jim Duggan came came out the fans popped for him why would anybody want to ever cheer a villain like Hacksaw Jim (laughs) Duggan I don't know for some reason he always gets people going uh, but, you know, Duggan in WCW is just totally backward. I I don't get it at all. He's more than just totally backward. He's 
backwards. <laughs> I really didn't want to swear right there, Mr. Beverly Hills. Whatever. Right. So Duggan starts out and he gets the crowd going. He usually does stomping in USA and all that. Um, I did notice that there was a fan in the front row with like an eight and a half sheet, eight and a half by eleven sheet of paper, so just like a normal printer size paper, and it says. <laughs> says booty babe number one and it has a picture of kimberly page in the middle and i i just i'm a little creeped out by just this whole idea of the booty babe number one he's just kind of like holding it there he's not really saying anything it just kind of weirds me out i am sad that the sign did not say usa usa dig it dig it Yeah, you know, that wouldn't really have any... That would be just as weird as that one, but, uh, okay. Well, I'm just trying to do a callback to one of our earlier earliest episodes, Mr. Beverly Hills. Right on. So, DDP hung Duggan on the top rope, uh, and at this early in the match, he tapes Duggan's feet around the ring post some more <laughs> tape. Uh, number one prop in WCW 1996 athletic tape here. Yes, it, um, it made me laugh at Nick Patrick... Got all angry about it, then went outside to try to undo the tape. I was thinking, why didn't you go outside to begin with before he taped up his feet? Yeah, right. So DDP, he's fighting with Duggan, and and eventually he just pulls off the tape. Just in like one fell swoop, he just grabs all the tape that was on Duggan's wrist and just yanks it off of him. Uh, but I mean, yeah. So once Nick Patrick gets the tape off his feet, which really had no effect on him, uh, Duggan comes back and he's punching DDP. He's DDP's like in the middle of the top and middle oops, and he's just kind of going back and forth as if he were one of those like clown punching bags. Yeah. <laughs> um, Duggan's still in control with uh, ramming DDP into the ring post. Uh, but Paige comes back with a jumping um, arm breaker, and he goes pull goes way back with a throwback after he hits the jumping arm breaker. He goes, good God. <laughs> <laughs> back to the Freebird days. Yes. Hey, think of it. What, what is your thoughts on DDP managing the WCW's version of the Freebirds? Uh, I mean, he's pretty bad, to be honest, but <laughs> it's uh, part of his career, you know? Fair enough that I guess, you know, the WCW version of the Freebirds wasn't really the fabulous Freebirds, uh, the, the original group, so mm-hmm. whatever else. Well, yeah, the fabulous Freebirds are no just regular Freebirds. Yeah, so I guess it's, you know, if it's WCW was trying to make it their own, at least they tried. I guess, yeah. So, it's too bad that Jimmy Jam Carvin was the guy, though. Yeah. <laughs> even though the, I, even though the few uh, matches I've seen of Jimmy and Jam, I really pre, I really enjoyed him. But yeah, he, he was no Terry Gordy or anything like that. Well, that also the the Jimmy Garvin matches you've watched have been about eight years prior to yeah. him being free. That's a lot different. Yeah, a lot different than yeah the That's early nineties. Like yeah. That's like watching Chris Jericho in 2007 and then trying to watch him in 2015. That's your opinion, Mr. Beverly Hills. But you you like those you like those matches like him against the Wyatt family. You thought he was good in that. I could care less about that match, Mr. Beverly Hills. But I I do get your I do get your point where 
you know, guys like at his peak or started to slowly come down from his peak, then, uh, yeah, like I said, almost eight years later. So when, you know, he should be probably probably should be wrapping up his career and he's still in there. Right on. So anyways, um, dug and crotch DDP and then he threw him into the mat, which looked cool. Uh, then he rammed DDP's head into all the turnbuckles. Um, so it looked like he was getting control, but. See, the finish came when Duggan was trying to get into the ring. DDP kicked the middle rope, which caused Duggan to get a little blown, which is a face move, in my opinion. <laughs> then DDP hit the diamond cutter out of nowhere. You got it. And I had to say that that was probably the best setup and finish we've seen, I feel like, from DDP with the Diamond Cutter. I felt like it was at least the smoothest transition into the Diamond Cutter so far. Yeah, it looked good. Definitely. So winner DDP, I rated this match one star. I, you know, I had a tough time getting in, in the match. I really haven't liked Duggan, you know, being the babyface heel, whatever. But I, I feel like, you know, just the sequence of the low blow... Uh, bottom, middle rope, low blowing hashtag Jim Duggan for being a fool in the diamond cutter transition I felt like was to me the highlight of the match I would agree I went two stars a little higher I, I thought some of the work was, was fairly good but uh, yeah again no great shakes totally that, that I feel like you know that somehow the the roll tape that Jimmy Hart gave Big Bubble is still ringside. <laughs> no, this is the one, yeah, this is the one that's like completely out of nowhere. Just gets thrown to him. Yeah, some someone somewhere threw a dug in a roll of tape. He tipped his fist and knocked out oh. Jim, uh, knocked out DDP. Which I felt like that is a heel move from Jim Duggan. I just think it's so stupid, and I don't get how just he does. Even like really tape his fist he's just like windmills it and it goes around it's just like this big mass of tape yeah, like super don't loose. Give it at all. It's super loose oh, it's so stupid it's just so stupid then we get some replays of the match whatever we yep. go again backstage with me and gene who's with jimmy hart the wcw world heavyweight champion the giant and kevin sullivan and gene mentioned to sell you that the horseman would want to you know, hit, you know, double team and all that, then Sully mentioned, if they're going to double team me, they got to bring all four horsemen out. He goes, this is my home court advantage. Something's burning in my gut. They consider me the weak link. Don't you know that I'm the booker? I get to book myself to be don't you understand that horseman i can do what i want i'm gonna be in the main event because i write the stories that was the that was the transcript i got (laughs) well yeah they talked i thought this promo was about solely being the weak link of the of the dungeon of doom and he is he's two feet tall he's 50 years why is he here it's so stupid. Sullivan should not be in a main event in 1996. There's no reason. Tell us what the giant had to say about Kevin Sullivan being the weak link. I've never considered Taskmaster the weak link. He's the backbone of the dungeon. He brought me. <laughs> he brought me here. He brought me to WCW so that I can 
achieve my birthright and become the WCW champion. You're not the elite horseman. We are the judge of doom. Looks like we're going to have horse stew later. Yeah, that, that line made me laugh that <laughs> instead of horsemen, there'll be horse stew. <laughs> and in, yep. in, in, listeners, you if you heard Mr. Beverly Hills cracking yeah. up a little bit, is because I imitated <laughs> Sullivan on doing the, the stand up and salute when It when was Giant, funny, yeah. Giant was saying that he's the that he's yeah, the, the backbone. backbone when he's that, the backbone. Makes me He stood up really straight. Yeah. yeah, he stands up really straight, and then he starts saluting. It was so funny. I was like, okay, well, this doesn't fit his character at all, but it is funny. And as you guys heard me attempt to, I read my Dean Bill because I loved, I loved that. When, yeah, that giant was <laughs> saying, yeah, he's a backbone. Sullivan was saluting. Like, that makes <laughs> no sense. It was funny, though. And I feel like Jimmy had a great line saying, well, hold on a second before I can do my proper Jimmy Hart impersonation. It's the best of the dungeon versus the best of the horsemen. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> you did do that laugh, you're right? <laughs> so yeah, pretty much Jimmy was saying that, you know, it's the best of the, yeah, best of both teams going going at it and seeing who, who's who's the best. Right. Then we've seen, then Gene sent us to Lee Marshall, who's stage set with Benoit and Anderson, and I don't ever, ever remember seeing Lee Marshall in the flesh on WCW <laughs> television. Really? I remember him on Nitro was going to do that 1-800 collect uh, plug for Robert where they're going to be at the next week, but I never remember seeing Lee Marshall on WCW TV before. Oh yeah, man, he well he was like the voice of either Worldwide or Pro, one of those. So okay, I guess yeah. when when I was watching Worldwide towards the end of WCW, so be the late eight or late nineties, early two thousand, uh, I think it was. I don't remember uh, Lee being there. I can't. Well, I guess I can't remember who was the host. I feel like it was Larry Zbysko and somebody, but I don't think it was Maybe. Lee. But anyway, yeah, the Benoit is yeah. Lee Marshall's with Benoit and Anderson, and before anything, Anderson wanted to address the outsiders, whoever the third man is. And Anderson said that he isn't a fan of Steen Luger and Savage, but. They're gonna, the outsiders will be on a rough road to ride mm-hmm. with those three, and if. Somehow, the Outsiders and Third Man can survive those three. Watch out, because the horsemen are coming after them. <laughs> right on. Then, something that made me laugh was Anderson said that he was walking the streets of Daytona Beach this past week, and everybody's yes. on the side of Sullivan. And yeah. put, putting over their yeah, their feud a little bit, then Anderson said that, you know, Johnny isn't so tall when he's chopped down, when he's chopped in half, saying that he's only three foot six. Three foot six is funny, yeah. Uh, the part I thought was funny was Arn Anderson's attire. Uh, he's got his ring gear on, then he has a Bash at the Beach shirt tucked into his trunks. <laughs> yep. And then he's wearing old man Grandpa Arn Anderson glasses. Yes. Uh, <laughs> while, while he's doing this promo. I'm like, we couldn't have had been our like our dude. Take your, take the shirt off. Take your glasses off. You don't look very intimidating right now. You kind of look like, uh, you know, like well, like actually, actually, you know what he looks like? He looks like this guy who ran the hardware store in <laughs> my town where I grew up. Uh, I was, not I was, intimidating. I was gonna say to me, Arn looked like an uncle. 
Actually, you know what? In my notes, I can send you. It says Lee Marshall with Chris Benoit, Uncle Art Anderson. <laughs> uh, word for word. So I would agree with you. Then Benoit mentioned that the Horsemen will finish the dungeon and will get the world title back to the Horsemen. Cause, so, yeah, the, the gimmick of the match or stipulation of the match was if one of the if the Horsemen win the next night on Nitro, one of the Horsemen will challenge the Giant for the World Heavyweight title. Yeah, and Benoit's still trying to work this freaking terrible silent but violent shit. And it's yeah. so bad. That's the worst nickname ever, silent but violent. Because it's just one word away, and Flair said it last week, it's one word away from saying silent but deadly, which is a term for a fart. Yeah, And you don't want a person associated with a fart. Then one thing I appreciated about <laughs> Lee Marshall at the end of the interview is that you can tell he... He had a career in radio. Um, I've heard him trying to plug the match and sp- speed up really fast and all that. You know, plugging the match that we'll see later on. Then he kicked it to Tony Schiavone for the next match, Mr. Beverly Hills. Yes, what? he did. All right, already a lot happening here in World Championship Wrestling. And a lot more to come as we go to Mean Gene Okerlund. Gentlemen, please come on in. Jimmy Hart, you little twerp. The seven foot four inch, 471 pound heavyweight champion of the world, representing World Championship Wrestling, the giant Kevin Sullivan. Tonight, Art Anderson, Chris Benoit, two out of the four horsemen. And considering, well, considering you, Mr. Sullivan, no disrespect, things don't look real good for you personally. I don't think they're going to let this guy even get in the ring. They're going to double team you if they get a shot. They're going to double team me. They can bring all four horsemen up. Let me tell you something. This is home court advantage, and there's something burning in my gut. You think I'm the weak link? Well, ask the giant, and he'll tell you exactly what I am. Giant, uh, be honest with us. Do you consider the Taskmaster the weak link of the Dungeon of Doom? I never, and once in my life, would ever consider the Taskmaster as a weak link. He is the backbone of the Dungeon of Doom. He is the one that brought the giant to WCW to reclaim my birthright and put an end to all that Hulkamania stuff. And you talk about the horsemen, the elite, this, that, and the other. They're not the elite. I am the world heavyweight champion. I always will be. I am the elite. You come after the Taskmaster, you come after Kevin Sullivan in his hometown, his home court. (laughs) Looks like we're going to have some horse stew later. All right, uh, they are thoroughbreds. Make no mistake about that, Jimmy Hart. The best of the horsemen go against the best of the dungeon. We'll see who wins. <laughs> Can you do me a favor? I don't want to offend you, but would you brush your teeth? You ought to Stop it with me. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the bash at the beach, absolutely electrifying. Standing by my good friend and broadcast colleague, Lee Marshall. Take it away, Lee. Thank you very much, Mean Gene, standing here with two of the four horsemen, the Canadian crippler, Chris Benoit, the enforcer, Arn Anderson, and it boils down simply to this, Arn. If you can beat either the Taskmaster or the Giant, one of the four horsemen gets a shot at the heavyweight championship of the world on TNT Monday Nitro. Before I get to Sullivan and the Giant, I want to talk about the outsiders briefly. Yeah, Eric Bischoff stood up to you, and you shoved him through a table big deal. Tonight I think you're going to find a little rougher road with Sting, Luger, and Savage. Now I'm no big fan of theirs, but I just want you to understand whoever you are, what kind of fight you're in, and maybe if you survive it, you can jump on the horseman. But the fact is, first first things first, Sullivan, 
We're looking at this thing as a vehicle to get the world title back where it belongs. Now, I've been walking these streets of Daytona Beach for a couple of days, and all I'm hearing is, boy, what a beating Kevin Sullivan's going to give you. He stuck his hand out to you in friendship and drew back a nub. Well, that's the way of the world, the world the four horsemen live in. And, Giant, we chop you down in half. You're only 3-6. I got to think, Chris Benoit, that you've got some unfinished, unsettled business with the taskmaster, Kevin Sullivan. Silent, but violent. Kevin Sullivan, giant. The horsemen have tolerated the Dungeon of Doom far too long. Tonight, we're going to finish off what you started. Sullivan, I'm going to leave you for dead. Giant, you've given us but another opportunity for the horsemen to reign supreme in the WCW. Coming up, tag team action, the Giant and the Taskmaster, Benoit and Anderson. You talk about some tag team action, you're... You're not going to believe what's coming up. In fact, let's get to the ring. Which is the double dog collar match between the public enemy, Rocker Rock and Johnny Grunge, taking on the Nasty Boys, Brian Knobs and Jerry Sags. And originally when we went to uh, saw the, the dog collar, it looked like you know the two dog collars were connected to each other. So you can, how are they going to work that? Then there's yeah, two completely different chains. You, th- you thought all four were going to be connected at one dog collar? No, well, just how they had set up in the arena with the, okay. a- a- the X's, it looked like, you know. Oh, like, they were going to be crossed. Yeah, yeah. the crossed, like, what the hell? Then I, Yeah, that'd be bad. I did note, wait a second, isn't this the sign that Public Enemy had on Nitro for the, when they came out? No, it's not the sign that they had on Nitro. The sign they had on Nitro was an overdubbed wwe version this is the na 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 laddie daddy daddy we likes to party laddie daddy we likes to party that one okay it is the original i did take note that this son is asking me to party (laughs) yep well then a, a funny line between uh Bobby and Dusty, I think right at the start of the match was Bobby asked if Dusty puts his feet up on his plunder when he gets home, and Dusty said he does. Oh, he did? He, he also, I thought he said, I think a plunder is what you used in a toilet. <laughs> Whatever. Because he, he did say that. Yeah. I love the Nasty Boys music. I love the, where are the boys? Where are the boys? Where are the boys? Yes, which made me laugh. And because before we, I got one more note that Tony was mentioning that yeah, Bobby still or not Bobby Bischoff is still missing, and because I guess <laughs> Bischoff is the host of the the WCW Pro. I think is right before the pay per view. Oh yeah, yep. And I was, I did ask, how are we on the WWE no- Network are supposed to join them on the pre-show, and that is on the WWE Network. Come on, Tony Schiavone, get your act together. Whatever. Okay. I'll kick it to you for your uh, review of the match, Mr. Beverly Hills. <laughs> it's me trying to be funny, which isn't going over. Oh, sorry, dude. Uh, you're funny, but not yes. that line. Sorry. So so it's, it's really craziness. It's... Uh, you know, this double dog collar gimmick is uh, 
invites craziness because you got two you by nature two different people or two different sets of people roaming about so uh i tried to keep up but i know i didn't i know i didn't keep up entirely yeah because i know i i had a tough time with this too i really i just pushed started to take notes more towards the middle and uh, end of the end of the match. Uh, one line I guess I didn't take note during the beginning of the match was Bobby and Dusty were mentioning that you know the wrestlers going to see who's the who's the toughest dog in a battle. Then I asked, "Would it not be me?" <laughs> yes. Well, you're the dirtiest dog in the battle. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so at the beginning, they're they're well, the pairs are Rock Rocko Rock is with Jerry Sags and Grunge is with Nobs, so that's just that. But um, Nobs and Grunge immediately kind of go up to the beach set up by the uh, entrance way, and uh, Nobs is hitting Grunge with the devastating, uh, <laughs> devastating weapon, an inflatable shark. Yes, which which made me laugh. That like how how is a inflatable shark? You know. Hurt as a weapon. Yeah. Meanwhile, Sags is taking over with another devastating weapon, a surfboard. Uh, Dusty goes, oh, that's a hang 10 wipeout. And uh, the the guys, the announcers are trying to put over that the surfboard could be a devastating weapon. They're like, it's, it's worse than the shark. And I'm like, guys, but it's still just a freaky surfboard. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, during this time we had the the was it the split screen and all that, which is like super yes. small, and we see the graphic. Oh, and, it's terrible! And Dusty, I love Dusty's line. He yes. proclaims that the split screen is double trouble path that it beats bubble, baby. Yeah, that was a lot of list. <laughs> yes, it. Yes, it, it's the yeah, it's the double trouble bash at the beach bubble, baby. It that. Made me pop and all that, and I think yeah, right around the time you were mentioning about the surfboard, that yeah, Bob, you're trying to get Dusty to say wipe out and yes. all that, which made me laugh. Yes, because <laughs> they both wanted to say hang ten, and then Bobby wanted Dusty to say wipe out. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, Jenny Grunge bulldogged knobs through a chair, which looked cool. Yeah, I think yeah, right on the yeah surfboard spot that yeah that. I didn't take who was trying to pin who on the surfboard, but Tony mentioned that he'll never thought he'll ever say two count on the surfboard. <laughs> and I also mentioned that I never thought I'll hear Tony tell me a two count on the surfboard. <laughs> yes, thanks trying to pin Rock. Yes. So Rock hit a um he hit a flip dive off the lifeguard stand onto Sags. Um finally they you know what it isn't so bad. This like it isn't this part isn't so bad, but then we get back to the ring, and oh, I think oh. everyone in the arena, everyone watching, can hear an audible. <laughs> the brakes get put on when we try to set up the table. Yes, but yeah, before when they're when they're still on the beaches, yeah, the beach that Dusty made a fu- set a funny line. I guess. Is uh, I think it's against the law to walk your dog on the beaches of Florida. Yeah, just you know, just because you know, my name is the Dirty Dog. I oh, guess yeah. I can't go for a walk on the beaches in Florida. I guess not. It is against the law, says Dusty. 
darn. <laughs> so they try to set up this table, right? And uh, Rocco goes up top, and he's going to jump off the the top rope onto the table with Sags. But then Sags pulls him, yanks him, but he just bounces off the table. Oh, when I saw that, I had to turn my head and look away from the screen because that looked like it hurt. And especially the table then yeah break to help break the fall or anything. It looked like, yeah, it yeah, you know, bounce off and it'll hurt hurt the ribs and knock the air out of you. Oh, see, I thought it looked like he just bounced. I didn't, I didn't think it looked too bad. I thought it looked like he just bounced. Um, I'm surprised you didn't put what Dusty called that move. I didn't know. Oh, he tried to hit a blivet off the top. <laughs> and I was like, blivet? But he said a couple times, like, yeah, it's going for a blivet. A blivet off the top. I, so I did write, write down Dusty told us it ain't over and they don't want it to be over. Yeah, that's that's when because they keep trying to break this table, <laughs> but the table is much too tough of a guy. It's tougher than the Nasty Boys. It's tougher than the Public Enemy because uh, yeah, Sags tried to put Rock through the table, but the table's still too tough. Uh, and then finally. Uh, Nobs throws Grunge over the top rope, which kind of gets his like a hayman pipe. Yeah, like, yeah, hayman's noose or whatever. Yeah, hayman's yep. pipe, like you said. Yep. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Then uh, then yeah, then well, I can't remember who threw threw one of the the other enemy into yeah, Sag, the, like I said, Sag, yeah. yeah. Then the Rock got thrown into the chain as a, like a clothesline. Yep. Yep. Nobs and, threw him into yeah. Yeah, sorry, I I get those guys kind of confused and excited and trying to take notes on so trying to get them straight. Yeah, my notes aren't straight. But yeah, the National Boys win, and man, that that was a beating, a nasty-looking beating, and I probably rated this match too high, but because of what the brutality they put their bodies through, I rated this match three stars, Mr. Beverly. Oh, my God. Uh, wow. Okay, I went star and a half. Uh I feel like this is, again, uh, in 1995, there was uh, an amazing double dog collar match between Raven and Stevie Richards against the Pitbulls, and uh, that was good. Uh, this is not. No, I, <laughs> I guess, you know, like I This said, is like a WWF hardcore match. Yeah, I enjoyed this because, well, I guess I respect the guys for putting their bodies through what they did, and... I know. I think one of the notes I mentioned that I totally didn't. Yeah, I totally spaced off on jumping in and mentioning was Nobs pile drove Rocco on the cement in the aisleway, just like that. And the Heyman's peak and the, the clothes on into the chain, like crazy moves like that. I had to give props to all four guys, and which is why I rated this double the stars that you you gave them. Okay. Yeah. All right. Then yeah. Then. Yes, he, uh, yeah, Rocco got up and started to attack the Nasty Boys, you know, in yep. after, after match, and I felt like he was a jerk for that. And they, <laughs> and they battled, yeah. it, battled some a little bit and, and all that. Then we get uh, some replays of the match, and yeah, and I don't know how the guy was moved for moved a few days after that. <laughs> sure, yeah. Then we get a backstage interview with me and Jenny with himself, which I didn't like too much, Mr. Beverly. Yeah, I fast-forwarded through this. I didn't really like 
Because yeah. <laughs> I didn't. Well, I didn't. I didn't take a lot. No, I did watch it, but it, all I got was he's by the locker room. And he chats about it. Yeah, that's pretty, yeah. He's standing in front of the security guards, or in front of the outsiders' locker room. Gene put over the main event match with the implications. Lottie freaking da. I felt you know he was trying to get a word with the outsiders. No luck. Boring. Yeah, pretty much. And. You know, for I put this up on Twitter probably. You know, when I was watching this, this will be a few weeks back from when this when this drops. But this next match, Mister Beverly Hills, I have to open up my mill yellow. Yeah, you're all about this match for the WCW World Cruiserweight Championship. The Disco Inferno is challenging the champion, Dean Malenko. Do it, man. Yeah, that that I. I noted that Disco is decked out in orange for the pay-per-view, carrying out his gold. Yes, he he's in a lot gold, of Sherbert today. His gold album that he won for selling over a million CDs. And I didn't mention, I wish I could find one of those CDs on Amazon.com. Yeah, I wish I could find one. Yeah. <laughs> then, yeah, Disco grabbed the mic and said that, yeah, he wa- wanted his music to be stopped. Then <laughs> I love Disco invited everybody to his disco dance party after the, after the pay-per-view, after he wins the Cruiserweight title. Yes. Mr. Beverly Hills, I have to ask you a question. Yes, Jimmy. I'm down for going to Disco's disco dance party. Do you want to go to his dance party after the podcast? Oh, 100%, man. Yes, let's do it. Let's go disco with the Disco Inferno. You got it, man. And, oh, yeah, I noticed on Disco's butt, it said on his butt, shake your booty. Shake your booty. You got it, dude. I'm yes, happy, it did. Happy you didn't say Monday Night Fever. <laughs> I like, you know, that's attention to detail. Yeah. It's not Monday night, so why why would it be Monday Night Fever, right? Yeah. So that's good. So I'll kick it to you for the match. <laughs> Sweet. Okay. Um, yes, yeah, so Dean starts. He takes Disco to the outside. And he rams him into the ring post. Um, back in the ring in a, in a few seconds later, he hit him with a cool kind of I call it a drop stick, drop kick style move. It was just a one foot drop kick. Uh, and they kind of flipped out of it, which looked uh, pretty neat. Um, he then uh, hit a brain buster for a two count, uh, which again looked very nice. Yeah, the, it, I, you know, the story is just all Dean, right? Yeah, I noted that when Dean hit the brain buster, the announcers went, ooh. Yeah. For it and seemed surprised that Disco kicked, kicked out and. Like you mentioned, the story the matches a story all about Dean, and I noticed in the first opening, I guess thirty seconds a minute into the match, that Dean changed up his style for this match compared to weeks prior to what we what we've seen of him in this series. How so? I I feel like Dean was more of a brawler compared to you know, adding in more you know, brawling techniques to his. Arsenal than matches before. Okay. I feel okay, like just, sure. be, just because Disco is a, a bigger guy compared to the guys he's been facing weeks prior, he can always do, you know, Disco is going to do the flash moves, you know, that, you know, that Rey Mysterio has, has, has done that we've seen before that Malenko ha- has to kind of, yeah, has to outgravel and brawl Disco. Okay. All right. So yeah. So he's not. Yeah. Right. So he's not doing as much of a base, but yeah. No. He, yeah. He's doing those power moves. So, um, yeah. So Dean hit a side suplex. He was working a knee bar. Um, 
so after a while now that Dean's been in control, Disco does get to kind of fire back. He hits some punches that look real nice. Um, he got him with a hot shot and a Russian leg sweep. Um, but Dean gains control again. Um, a cool kind of double arm bar look from him. Um, a springboard leg drop, but then Disco comes back again, hits his stunner, and it really looked like that might have been it because uh, that was a very convincing two-fall there. Or no, yeah, Dean got his foot on the ropes, I should say. Yeah, that's one thing I appreciate about, you know, guys like our champions like Dean that they know where they're at in the ring. And I guess, you know, for both guys to execute and move then the pin attempt and being close enough to the to the ropes where the, the guy just has to barely move his foot and he's on the rope. Right, uh-huh. Um, so after that, uh, Disco hit another uh, neck breaker. And one of the other kind of storylines of this match is that Disco is oh, fighting kind of his two masters, the one wanting to... Yeah, want, wanting to dance. Wanting to win the match, the other one wanting to dance. Yeah, which yeah. is, you know, one thing I guess I... You know, another story I appreciated in this match is... Yeah, Disco, like I said, you know, Dean was you know, having a always out grapple and out battle, out, yeah, battle Disco, then Disco, yeah, like I said, serving two masters, wants to win the Cruiserweight title and wants to, yeah, dance and all that. And, and times that he's danced, he caught him with stuff like, I need to quit this, I need, want to win this match, I want to win, win this title. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. So he stopped himself from dancing after he hit a swimming neck breaker and still just got two, though. Um, Dean hit another springboard jump game. He tried to set up Texas Cloverleaf, but Disco rolled him up uh, and hit a huge clothesline for two. Uh, and then finally, the I think the better man the prevails here. And you can take over the yeah, finisher. The, 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 I put down that Dean hit a beautiful... Double underhook powerbomb, transitioned that into Texas Cloverleaf, sat down in Disco's lower back, and Disco, yeah. only thing he had to do was give up. And so the winner is still the reigning and defending WCW Cruiserweight champion, Dean Malenko, and probably like the tape team match we just you know reviewed to Mr. Beverly Hills, I rated this match four stars. Right on. Uh, I went three and a half. I feel like it's crazy to think that this match is only a star better than that tag match. Yeah. I, I guess <laughs> when yeah. you think comparisons. Yeah. I guess, you know, I feel like, like I mentioned before, this is a different style of match that we've seen Malenko so far in the series. At least I feel like it was a different different style, at least, you know, with a different opponent with Dean. And, you know, D, I feel like Dean is one of a few guys who could pull a great match out of Disco. Yep. That I very well, well enjoyed. And then, I enjoyed, you know, like you mentioned, that Disco serving two masters in the match. You know, kind of, you know, giving us a different story, different set of Disco that we've seen weeks prior. Yeah, uh, I thought, uh, yeah, and I think when uh, Bobby goes on a a a little bit of a rant saying that he thinks that... uh, Disco needs a manager. I think that is a cool direction they could have went with. You know, someone kind of trying to straighten out Disco, make him into kind of a more of a, a serious wrestler. Um, yeah. yeah that, I, that was I, an interesting way I noted that there are some fans in the front row on their feet applauding. You know, both guys, you know, it seemed like too that the crowd didn't expect the match to be as good as what we got. 
Right, I don't think anybody did, but this was a good match, definitely. And we saw replays, and like I said, I love the transition finish that we saw, and I'm surprised at yeah, how great a match Dean and Disco put on. Uh-huh. Then we get another sleeper match, Mr. Beverly Hills. Joe Goldmaz take on Steve Mongol McMichael. A sleeper match isn't a, a, I'm going to fall asleep before this match is over? Yes. Yes, right. So here we go. This is bad piped music for Desperado Joe Gomez. We didn't get the cool knockoff Desperado music. We got this like mariachi music that someone put in because then you can also tell in the background it sounds like a bad video game because it's a guy being like, oh, next. Is Desperado Joe Gomez? <laughs> and it's definitely not, you know, Gary Michael Capetta or Dave Penzer, whoever is there. Um, but yeah, so Mongo comes out, Gomez comes and out. I uh, had to mention, did you notice the crab cam when Mongo came out? <laughs> yeah, I did. Okay. Uh, I was I, I was hoping to I was hoping to ignore it like the announcers did. I guess. Okay, what what are we even talking about, Mister Beverly Hills? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So Gomez tried to jump Mongo early, but Mongo caught him and uh, attacked him with a few good hits there. Did a nice three-point stance, big corner clothesline. Uh, Gomez fired up, and he got a crossbody for a two-count, but Mongo hit a big chop, some uh, shoulder blocks, and then uh, a mule nut kick, which Dusty goes, oh, it's a mule kick to the groan. <laughs> Dusty. And then one of the one of the other announcers is like, "What?" And he's like, "It's the groan." <laughs> I I do appreciate these pay per views where the uh, you know Dusty can't pronounce his words and like Tony or Bobby or whoever else is calling him out about that and saying, "Can you repeat that word?" And yeah, you know that. It's the groan. It, and they're all having a you know a fun time laughing about it too. <laughs> it was one thing I I appreciate. Yes. That was funny. Um, so after the, the mule kick and the groan, uh, Mongo punted Joe right in the gut, which looked like, oh, jeez. And then he even stuck up his arms as if the field goal is good, and I thought that was funny. Um, Mongo worked a camel clutch. He worked a sleeper, but Joe turned it into a jawbreaker. Um, Mongo goes for a figure four? And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> This word because he's like horseman style, and then he puts him in the figure four. But uh, Gomez got him in a roll up. Uh, Mongo tries for a power bomb, but Gomez back drops him out of it. Here's when Joe Gomez challenge channels his Alan Iron Eagle days with some overhand uh, Native American style chops. <laughs> uh, we grind to a halt with a big botched sunset flip. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was kind of weird. And then uh, the Mongo Spike pile driver. And yeah, because I really didn't take much notes about that. Then I was, you know, zoning out and all that, you know, trying to stay awake and paying attention to this match. <laughs> then yeah, I saw I, you know, Gomez being Irish whipped into the ropes, coming back. Then like I was looked at the screen. Well, why the hell is Mongo's back to me? Boom! Yeah, the Mongo Spike pile driver, you know, Tombstone pile driver, like. What the hell? Then yeah, the one hand pinfall victory from Mongo, like Okay. So <laughs> match is over, thankfully. So winner is yep. Mongo McMichael. I rated this match a dud. 
like I said before, you know, before you know, introing this match, I had a tough time paying attention. You know, Joe Gomez sucks. You know, the announcers put over this was Mongo's <laughs> third pro wrestling match. So whatever. I went a star. Uh, I thought it it was bad. Uh, it wasn't good by any means. Uh, you can see Mongo starting to develop, but he's very, very raw. And I feel like you know, usually you want to put those kind of guys who are just developing in there with good wrestlers, uh, to put him in with Joe Gomez, I think is a mistake yeah, at best. So. I got two things I got out of this match. Okay. One right away was, you know, at the beginning of the match, Dusty Rhodes was saying that Mongo is a fellow Texican. Yep. How, how are both Mongo and Dusty half Mexican? <laughs> it's just a joke. It's just a, either from Texas and, Then, like I said, the announcers put over that this was Mongo's third third pro wrestling match, and we've covered Mongo's first three matches on the series. Yes, we have. Was was that the secret reason why you chose these shows to review (laughs) for Beverly Hills? Yes, it is the advent of my love for... Uh, Steve Mago McMichael, you are correct. That ex- yeah. that ex- You've exposed my secret. That explains why you wanted to be on this Great American Bash of the Beach 1996 tour. Yes. You didn't want, you, who cares about Scott Hall and Kevin Nash showing up <laughs> on WCW? Who cares about the first two hour nitros? Who cares about Hogan turning heel? Only thing you cared about was Mago McMichael and his first three wrestling matches. Yeah. Totally right. Totally true. You got it. That's all I have to say about that. My God, what was... What? Don't do it again. Don't do it again. That was my megaphone. I apologize (laughs) for whoever's ears I blew out. I'm sorry, baby. (laughs) Anyway, uh, then we go backstage again with Mean Gene, who's with Liz, Woman, and Flair. And, yeah, Flair is... Flair seemed kind of excited about you know winning, getting a chance to win the United States title again, and Flair mentioned you can't have enough trophies in life. Obviously, putting over he's with three beautiful ladies. Uh, Flair put over Mongo's win. He'll be, you know Flair said he'll beat Conan and Flair or not Arn and Benoit beat the Devil himself and the Giant. And <laughs> tomorrow night on Nitro, Flair will have the U.S. title and the World Heavyweight title. Yep, and something. <laughs> Oh, oh, go ahead. Go, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Tomorrow, we'll have the U.S. and the World Championships. The Cucaracha, the Cucaracha. <laughs> Look at the ladies. Conan, they say you're a man with a thousand holes. Tonight, you meet a man with unlimited knowledge. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that, that even though somehow Conan got the gimmick of Dean Malenko being a man with <laughs> a thousand holes. <laughs> When I heard that, I was wondering, like, uh uh-oh, does Flair know who he's facing? Then Flair, I did enjoy Flair putting over his unlimited knowledge of the sport of professional wrestling. Right, that's funny. Then, yeah, they were talking about, you know, their hotel room overlooking the Atlantic Ocean and (laughs) partying, and a woman wanted Gene to come over and use some of Liz's money for a private party, and... Yes, maybe you can come over for a private party. Uh, and then she goes, Private party? Then, uh, 
Then yeah, Flair wanted you know speak one last word about Savage, saying that you know Savage can look into the camera and wonder when he's when he's if he's ever gonna get back with Liz and Flair's son. That's never gonna happen. Yep. Want you to look and think about Liz, <laughs> which made me laugh. Gene said that he couldn't go with woman because he doesn't care for the people woman hangs with. Oh yeah, the woman <laughs> mentioned like it doesn't ma- matter who I hang, hang out with. Yep, exactly. And then Flair goes absolutely nuts and starts talking about we're gonna party. Oh, <laughs> that in mind, we go to Mean Gene. Yeah. I'm joined once again by Miss Elizabeth. I'm joined by woman. Uh, please, you distract me. I can't do a job as a professional if you're going to constantly do that to me. Ric Flair, you've got to have other things on your mind this evening. An opportunity of gaining, yet as I said earlier, another trophy for your large trophy you case. You can never have enough trophies in life. Now, Mongo did it once. The Nature Boy will do it twice. And then Double A and the Crippler will take down the Devil and the Giant. And tomorrow night at Nitro, woo, I will be a man with a U.S. Championship and a World Heavyweight Championship. Mean Gene, La Cucaracha. Woo, brother, it's Bash at the Beach. And we are here in Daytona to style. And profile. Take a look at yes. what's not south of the border, brother, but right here in Daytona. Elizabeth, I'm very Woo. curious. Uh, what Come kind of a man? They say that you're a man with a thousand holds. Tonight, brother, you gotta meet a man that has unlimited knowledge of the greatest sport in the world. Right, Mean Gene? Do you, do, do you mind if I talk to the ladies? Don't mind at all, I brother. would assume across the street at that big, large uh, hotel overlooking the Atlantic Ocean, uh, Elizabeth, you're going to be throwing a, a little party. I know you've got some extra money in your pockets these days. Oh, absolutely. There's going to be a great big party. Great big, a great big party? Yeah. <laughs> is it something that I should be included in? Oh, I think a uh, woman would like that. Woman, is that true? Yes, I would. I'd have Liz tap into that big source of money she's got so we can have a private party, Gene. A p- 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 private party? Yes, yes. I have no idea what you're talking about. Please, mean Gene, don't embarrass me. make reference to one more point. Macho man, we know you're focused. We know you've got great plans for later tonight. But macho, never stop looking at that camera. Never stop, stop thinking, wondering, and praying that someday, woo, the lovely one could be back home. Because, brother, it's never going to happen. Woo! I think, uh, Ric Flair, you have said it all, as they say in the beer commercial. My friend, not only said it all, done it all. Woo! Conan, grab your best hold, kid. Nature boy, coming your way. Woo! You know, woman... If anything, you know, I've, I'm, I've got a commitment elsewhere, but uh, I must say, if anything were to happen, you've been very, very kind to me, very attractive. I just don't particularly care for the people that you hang around with these days. Is that true? Well, I just don't believe that, Gene. I believe you have it bad for me, and you don't care who I hang with or what I do. Isn't that right, darling? 
mean Excuse gene. Bottom me. line is, woman makes one more advance towards you, you won't be able to go back to Sarasota. You'll be across the street on the penthouse with the nature bar and the girls partying in Daytona. Woo! All night long. Tell them, mean gene. Conan, we're fixing Thank to you. Lock that aisle. In addition to wrestling, Woo! we're going to have a little pole vaulting competition here. Let's get you back up to the ring for more action. Then we get the next match for the United States Championship. Conan defending the U.S. title against Ric Flair, who's with Liz and Woman. Yes. Then, uh, oh yeah, well, I guess right away at the start, I enjoyed how Bobby and Tony tried to put over this match in the U.S. title. Bobby put over, you know, Conan's a big star down in Mexico, mm-hmm. and how much yep. more would he be looked at as a hero if he would be able to knock off Flair? Then Tony put over how much. You know, in the past, the United States title has been a stepping stone towards the world heavyweight title, and Flair wants the U.S. title back because that'll give him get him one step closer to becoming the world heavyweight champion again. And I appreciated that few moments of Bobby and Tony trying to pit, yeah, Conan and the U.S. title over on why Ric Flair's, I guess, yeah, stepping down and challenging for the United States title. Right, because he was the guy that lost it to the Giant. Yeah. So he would be the one who'd who'd want it back, right? So he's going to use the U.S. title as the stepping stone to get back into the picture. So I guess, yeah, times like that is where I pre... or when and where I appreciated, you know, the announcers putting over the, cha- the challenger or the champion who isn't as experienced as a veteran and... Put it over why the veteran is going for a second-tier title. Right, or even just in general, just that, you know, why people want to... Yeah, like exactly what you just said. Yeah, exactly what you just said. Why should you want to win the U.S. title? And that, and that's something that, you know, we talk a lot about present wrestling related to the stuff that we watch... Um, look at the difference between like the U.S. title and the Intercontinental title. Yeah. Like uh, the guys are going after the U.S. title because it does mean something, but it but it only means something because John Cena has it. When Rollins had it, it meant nothing, right? So yeah. I like that in WCW it means something because it's that stepping stone. And I guess you know. You know, this you know when we record this is the day of when WWE is put on the the Madison Square Garden live event on the WWE Network and yeah uh, uh, Kevin Kevin Owens is an Intercontinental Champion and, and when he beat Ryback for the title that you know, interview in an interview that Owens did after winning the title Owens said that you now he's a he's a prize fighter and he yep. he he oh wrestles, yeah that's another good one he wrestles. To win money and yep. winning, holding the title means that he's gonna win, <laughs> win more money when he win. You know, have more money when he wins, and I feel like that help, helps put the intercontinental title back. Try, slowly trying to build the intercontinental title back up too. Yep, right. But anyway, we might as well, yeah, get. I guess go, fly back to 1996 and talk about Conan <laughs> and Ric Flair. No, but you're you're entirely right. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's so easy to book a championship, but uh, so often, and I guess in the last 15 years, it's been very prevalent. Uh, people don't know how to. 
least, or they choose not to. At least it seems like nowadays that they're trying to at least rebuild the United States title, like you said, with John Cena. Mm-hmm. And I thought like they did a great job with Rusev when Rusev held yeah. the title before Cena. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, but what can you do? We don't have the power to change it. We can, it seems easy, though. Yeah, we can talk about Conan versus Ric Flair from Bash at the Beach. <laughs> yes, we can. Okay, so Conan, I like the story here. Conan, he's no intimidation. He's taking it right to Flair, working him on the ground, um, working with with punches. And so Flair gets a top wrist lock, but Conan reverses it, takes him down, hits a shoulder block. Uh, He hooked up the surfboard, which looked good. Um, We trade some chops in the corner, uh, and Conan gets the best of it because he hits crap. Slam, he hits clothesline, clotheslines him to the outside. <laughs> Conan dives to the outside, and because he takes Liz down, we got another villain in my book. Yes. I you, did, don't, did oh, not, you don't touch the ladies. Did we get it actually on camera of Conan actually take note Liz? Yes, we did. Okay, the uh, reason why I asked that, because I was, I think, looking down on my computer, typing out my notes and looked up and... Heard the announcers put over that Conan actually knocked Liz over and and all that. So I I, was, I didn't catch that. So I'm happy okay. it was actually on the on on screen and you caught that. Yes. Okay. Um. Where am I? Okay. So woman knocked Conan down. Then uh, Flair takes over. It's a knee drop, a punch exchange there, and then woman. It's a really huge nut shot, and the crowd goes nuts. They love it. They love the nut shot. And then Flair even takes it to the next level, and he does a little gyration at the crowd. And they love that. 1996 Flair is my favorite Flair. And I can tell that. I can tell you that the people in Daytona Beach love Ric Flair over Conan, even though, if I remember correctly, Conan grew up in Miami. Okay, yes, he is. Yep, he's from Miami. So it'd be yep. more of his hometown, home state crowd, but I think like Conan said in his in his uh, interview that we mentioned that Conan isn't, hasn't been in WCW long enough to get the fanfare in the acquaintances like Ric Flair has. So right, I and it, I mean... Oh, sorry. I guess it makes sense that the fans would rather be behind Ric Flair than him. Yeah, and I think just in general... Um, Especially at this point, but really through his whole career, Conan isn't associated with Miami. Yeah, he's from there, but but how has he, how he's never said that like while Fair he was wrestling. I guess I guess yeah, I get that from you know listening to his podcast and and all right, that. Like but you know that, but he never said that. Yeah, so yeah, my apologies about that, so, but yeah, no, 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 it's okay. He's from there, but I guess if his friends and family are there, but he's never said it. Yeah, <laughs> he's never really been billed from there. Yeah, right, right. So Flair dumped Conan to the outside, and woman bit him, which was pretty cool. Uh, bit him like on the face. Uh, Flair hit a vertical suplex, uh, bring him into the ring. He worked a chin lock, but. Conan was able to gain the advantage. He hit some punches in the corner. We get the flare flop. <laughs> Which always always a highlight. Yep. Conan tried a sunset flip, but Flair punches him off. I got two good lines from Dream. He goes, That devilish woman can screech. 
in reference to woman. And then he just goes, drama. (laughs) (laughs) Just one word. I love it. Drama. So then Conan hooked in the figure four. And that's actually might've been when he said drama. Um, (laughs) Conan hits vertical suplex from outside in. He hits a bulldog for two. Um, He has a flare in a pin, but there's some distraction from Liz and it goes on and on and on. Yeah, that's to say, I feel yeah. like yeah, the Liz distracted Nick Patrick. Yeah, I felt forever. I put down like thirty seconds or so, even though it may not have been thirty seconds. <laughs> I think but, it, it but at least it felt like you said forever and ever. Then also, I felt like forever was woman was on the apron, the other side of the ring, with her. You know, had one of her heels in her hand, just waiting for Conan to get close enough because it seemed like Conan also yeah, forgot the spots and what was supposed to happen. He's supposed to get over there so she can hit him. So Liz and Nick Patrick are like looking at each other. Woman's got the shoe and she's just like waiting, waiting, waiting. And finally, finally, Cody gets over there and she smacks him with this shoe. Then one thing I appreciate about Rick Flair is that once he finally covers Conan, he puts both feet on the top rope yeah. to score the pinfall victory and the title. And I appreciated Flair having to take go the extra mile on cheating. Just to yep. yeah, just to cheat for he can be victorious. So Ric Flair is our new WC, WCW United States Heavyweight Champion, and I rated this match two stars because I felt like these two guys seemed like they couldn't connect to each other and didn't really have much chemistry with each other. Yeah, I went three. I this was a good match. I thought uh, the spots looked crisp. I thought they were. Uh, yeah, I thought it was a really good matchup until the finish, uh, which took a long time to set up, but overall, I liked it. Yeah, and I guess, yeah, the finish, yeah, kind of, I wasn't really too fond of because, yeah, people forget spots, but that's just human nature. We forget stuff. <laughs> sure. Then, uh, yeah. after the match and when the, you know, Flair and the women are out re-inside re- with the title, Dusty made me laugh by saying, I don't know how all three of them are going to wear the U.S. title. <laughs> yeah, right. Which makes me laugh that we go backstage with Mean Gene, who's like in front of yes. the Outsiders locker room again. I don't know what else we're really supposed to say about that. So Yeah, he was, he was just saying that um, he's heard the voice before. He knows it's familiar. But he, yeah, he couldn't hear, hear it because of... Yeah, um, it being muffled and all that, and oh yeah, Bobby did tell Gene to offer the cops money to cuff up who they saw going there. Then yeah. Gene, Gene was about to then stopped like then said, "Bobby, I'm not gonna get I'm not gonna get sucked into one of your scams again." Yeah, he's like, "Offer him some money, give him a bribe," and she's like, "No, I won't do it." So yeah, <laughs> that that made me laugh. Then we go to our next match. I guess the semi main match. Honor Anderson and Chris Benoit take on Kevin Sullivan in the WCW World Heavyweight Champion, The Giant. Then uh, one thing I appreciated was Tony put over Mongo and Flair winning their matches. So there's a good chance that Arden Benoit will also win theirs. Oh, two for two so far with the Horseman. And before the Horseman got halfway down the ramp, we had a sneak attack. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. Sully and The Giant ran down and attacked him from behind and before they even got to the ring, Mongo ran came down with his briefcase and hit Giant on the on his back but no lock. So Giant chased Mongo to the back, leaving Sullivan two on one against a horseman, which 
was what Gene was foreshadowing in his promo. <laughs> yes, he did. Yes. Yep. Um, so, yeah. So, right. Uh, the horsemen are working on uh, Arn. The horsemen are working on Sullivan. <laughs> Duh. Um, and they just do that because Giant comes out really quickly. Uh, he's not really, it's not a two on one for very long. Um, I thought a cool move was when Sullivan was trying to get to the Giant. Arn has a grapevine around his legs, so he, uh, uh, so he falls down. Um, Sullivan uh, bit Benoit's face with a face bite. Um, <laughs> Sullivan and Benoit are fighting outside. They're ramming each other's faces into the barricade. Uh, most of the matches, the horsemen working on Sullivan heavily. And, and I just, uh, I don't know. I don't know why the Dungeon Doom are the faces here. Um, yes. And I just wrote, I, yeah. Yes. I wrote, I guess it's because Sullivan is a tiny troll man, but it really doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, to me that I was, you know, you know, watching this match, I was having a tough time connecting to Sullivan and the Giant being the faces in it. Like, you know, build up, you know, I, the six Nitros we watched, the Great American Bash, like everybody was behind the horsemen. You know, Granny were yeah. Sullivan's, you know, home state and all <laughs> yeah. that. But everybody was behind the, behind the horsemen. So why not, ha- you know, switch it around and have the horsemen be the faces and the Dungeon and Doom be the heels? Right. I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me. Whatever. Um, yeah. So Sullivan's trying to get some attacks in, but the horsemen are quick enough uh, to keep him in. Um, Sullivan was able to fling Arn into to Benoit. Um, Giant finally gets in. He walks on Arn as Benoit and Sullivan fight all the way up the ramp to the announcer's stand. Um and then we get the the, yep, the double, double trouble, trouble bash in the beach bubble split screen. <laughs> yes, and Arn or Giant hit Arn with the choke slam, and Sullivan is beating on Benoit up at the stage, and that's our three count. Yeah, so the winners are the Giant and Kevin Sullivan, and I read this match one in three four stars. Uh, I felt like the match picked up when the Giant was tagged in, but then again. After the giant was tagged in, Sully Benoit battled battled inside, like like you said, up to the announcers' booth section and, and all that. Yep, I went uh, two and a quarter, but yeah, for much of the same reasons you did. And I felt like you know during the replays that uh, Arn that uh, Arn hit you know took the beautiful bump for the choke slam, and it also seemed like Giant was trying to put Arn Anderson down gently too for the choke slam. Right. But then, uh, then after the match, we saw, or yeah, Sully was trying to walk off, and then Benoit flew off the announcer's uh, platform. And <laughs> yeah, on, he did. That looked awesome. Landed on Sully on the on the beach sand and all that. Then they, then Benoit, Benoit yeah, grabbed a chair, hit Sully with it. They went back to the ring. Benoit hit a super back, uh, super back suplex from the top rope, and Anderson still in the ring, selling the choke slam. Then a woman came down. And was trying to yell at Benoit to stop beating up Sullivan, not wanting Sullivan to get hurt. <laughs> yes. Stop it, Chris! Don't hurt him! Then, yeah, the fans started to get to the feet when the giant came down and he giant chased him off yelling, What are you doing? That was my bad giant impersonation, <laughs> but... No, that was, a, that was a good one. But And then and then he carried baby Kevin Sullivan to the back. And I, little ha- baby. And I have to ask, you know, was it... I guess known that 
woman was married to Sullivan during this time? I don't think so. Okay, because I, yeah, because to me, it didn't make much sense on a woman trying to, you know, finally, I guess, kind of coming out where that she's married to Sullivan when it hasn't really been said before with her flirting with Mean Gene with, during Flair Pro. <laughs> yeah, that. right, right. Then we get the video package for the main event. The Hostile Takeover, I feel like it's pretty much the same video package that we saw at the beginning of the pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. It's the same one, yeah. So let's get into the main event, Mr. Beverly Hills. We let's had the it, out, We had the outsiders, Kevin Ash and Scott Hall, take on Randy Savage, Stan, and Lex Luger. And one thing that made me laugh about Michael Buffer doing the outsiders' in, outsiders' uh, entrance is, what, what did you say? Something along the lines of, I've got a note, and as you guys can see, there's only two members of this outside invasion. Like... Dumb, we were told we were told that whoops we were told that there would be three of these interlopers and I must apologize as you can see there are only two. It oh, then he calls them interlopers. <laughs> when I heard interlopers, I was thinking he's gonna say like inter something or else. Like Michael Buffer, this is a PG show. Come on now. <laughs> so, I just thought. You know, Michael Buffer, what's your thoughts on Buffer in general? I don't know if we've had like a full-blown, what do we think about Buffer? What's your thoughts on it? I like him. I, you know, and I guess in many events like this, I feel like he adds to the mystique of the match. Sure. Um, most, you know, most of the time, you know, with the shows I've watched, either for this podcast or, you know, my own personal stuff of WCW with Michael <laughs> Buffer, I, I've liked him, you know, for... I guess more than more than fifty percent of the time. Yeah, I'm I feel told, like I you know, go ahead. I feel like for you know for this match, just the uh, you know apologizing for there only being two of the guys instead of three <laughs> the interlopers. I, I found that I found that to be a little bit funny though. <laughs> yeah, I I thought I'm torn. Uh, I do think it gave like a nice big fight feel. I think for the most part, I do think they overused him. Toward the end, it seemed yeah. like he was out there a lot, um, like even on nitros and stuff. And I think that takes away from the mystique. Um, and <laughs> yes, those always like the little kind of interstitials that he does are just hilarious. I have <laughs> the ones for the WCW crew are just as good as yeah. I was told there'd be three interlopers. <laughs> okay, yeah, before before we do that, that yep. You know, the, so like the pyro went off after the Outsiders went off, and the first few beats of Steam's music, you know, hit. Yes! It, it, <laughs> yes! That, that made me laugh, like, what's going on? Like, they mistimed everything, and Gene made his way down to the ring. Oh, and when he, the cowbell hits. Yeah, me, yeah me and Gene got to the ring. And then bumped off. <laughs> yeah. Me and Gene got to the ring, and the ring was looking back and forth, like, oh, confused, like, who missed who missed their, their time cue? Me and Gene are the music people and all that and <laughs> and all that and yeah that right. mean jeans facial expression made me laugh about that <laughs> then uh, i really don't have any notes about mean gene he just went into the arena and asked colin nash where the third guy is and both of them just said you know don't worry about it you know those two guys would be more than enough for the three out for the three wcw stars and their third man will come down when he feels like he's needed. 
Right. And I mean, it was kind of a repeat of that earlier one, but I did like that kind of showed just really how cocky these two are. And just, I mean, some might say this is kind of a face promo that they only need two, but I feel like the way that both of Paul and Nash played it, they played it as like arrogance, not, not as like, you know, as a good guy would portray it as kind of just like strength. These two portray it as kind of like foolish arrogance. Then we finally got the WCW stars coming out and I feel like, you know, the WCW crew backstage blew their load a little bit on already sending off their pyro for being genie and all that. Okay. But I guess, yeah, you mentioned that you had some, uh, uh, Buffer's quotes about WCW. Yes. First up, the he's the man of power and strength, Lex Luger. Then he goes, the man of power and speed, Sting. And then he finishes up with these like, one of the most famous and unpredictable men in all of wrestling history. Macho Man Randy Savage. I love that he, all of them had like these little, you know, the man of power and strength, the man of power and speed, you know, all that. Yeah, it, that made me laugh. There we go. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. Tonight here at the 1996 WCW Bash at the Beach, an event like no other in the history a professional wrestling is about to take place. A group of outsiders have threatened the sanctity of the WCW with a hostile takeover. A lottery has been held among the great superstars of world championship wrestling, and three men have been selected to defend the honor and possibly the very existence of the WCW. Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready? Damn right we are. What will you see, W fans? Are you ready? Let's do it. For the thousands in attendance here at ringside and the millions watching around the world on television, ladies and gentlemen. Butterflies. Yeah, brain. I know. You know, this was like the verdict on the OJ case. Remember how everybody's watching that on the sets? Couldn't get their eyes. Ladies off and it. gentlemen, at this time, let me introduce the man whose plan and goal is to take over the WCW with force and hostility. We were told there would be three of these interlopers, and I must apologize, as I have been informed, and as you can see. There are only two. Ladies and gentlemen, introducing the Outsiders! The Outsiders, you saw it on the tights, and there's only two of them. Yeah, what's he talking about? There's only two of them. They gotta deal with their hands sooner or later. Well, they gotta deal with it right now. It has has to be done right right. now. Ladies and gentlemen, we have police everywhere. We have security everywhere. We have no, I have no idea what's gonna happen next. What the hell's going on? 
I'll tell you what, you can cut it with a knife. You can't cut it with a knife in here. It's thick. The drama is thick. Unbelievable. Well, they know what they're doing. If they're putting us on the end of our chairs and making our palms sweat and making us wait, they're doing a darn good job of it because I don't know what to do or what to think or what to say. They are here. It's the moment that we... I can never remember a moment so important that we've waited for let's go, let's with go. such anticipation. What is going on now? Go get them, guys. Go get them! I'm going to tell you what. The third guy. This is bogus wait, weather. Wait, 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 wait a minute here. Gene Oakland? What's Gene doing? Gene Oakland is... Gene Oakland is going to the ring. He's going to find out who this third guy is, I guess. Well, he's in that conversation now with Michael Buffer. Oakland wants to know. That's what it is. Absolutely. And we, we need to know. Right, Go, Gene. Go. Yeah, there you go. Gentlemen, if I could have your attention, I don't have police protection with me at this time, but I want to confront you in front of this full house here at the Ocean Center and millions of others across the country and around the world. I don't see three men here tonight. Where is your partner? You know Scheme Gene, Chico, you know too much already. All you need to know, little man, is he's here and he's ready. Well, if he's... Well, wait a minute. Where is he? Is your partner telling me that your third man is in the building? Oh, he's here all right, Gene. Let me tell you something. We got enough to handle it right now, right here. Oh, for quite... Come on. Oh, man, I'm going to tell you Come what. on. They cannot handle our three guys. Yeah, okay. Let's send three out and just kick their teeth in and get it over with. There you go. Did they scam us? I don't know. I... No, I'm going to tell you and what. Now, ladies and gentlemen, from a great they mean business. Yeah. Something's going on. Yeah. Stars. You know as well as I do, Dusty. Let's There's bad intentions Look going on through. WCW. Level, but we've seen it happen before. He does this. He does that. I'll tell you what, it's going to take your breath away. This will take your breath away. Back away from the challenge. Ladies and gentlemen, let's history in the making and a man of power and speed what a roll what a rush another rush speed and finally All right. So it's going to be three on two. Yeah, here he is. I'm going to tell you what. That's cold chills running up and down my body. I guarantee you. What a roar. Uh-uh. Sums up. Sums I've up. I've never seen anything like this in a pair. Those two are tough men, but they're not going to take on those three. I guarantee you. There's the bell. Here we go. There is bad intention. You're right. Setting in right here at the ocean ocean center daytona beach bad intentions are starting to happen brother they have said the third man is here but he is not in the ring which means he is either in the stands 
He is still in the locker room area. Or behind us. Security, behind us. security is or everywhere. Tony, could he be sitting next to us? No. no I, well, get I out of here. I don't even know anymore. I, I won't even I answer don't that. even. I trust no one. Well, you got to do that, Dusty. You can't trust anybody. I know you don't trust me, and you shouldn't. But I'm not the third guy. All right. Let's just let's 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 butt heads and get this going here. Yeah, that's uh, that is so true. I guess something I wanted <laughs> to ask you about uh, from the start. Uh, what was your thoughts on the three WCW stars just walking down the ring and not running down the ring and wanting to start start out the match? I thought they showed enough that they were coming down. With a purpose. I definitely thought that they came down fast enough. Okay, because the reason why I wanted to ask is when the three WCW stars uh, got in the ring, I can't remember which one of the announcers mentioned it, but one of them were saying, like, well, I guess it was putting over the smarts of Kevin Ash and Scott Hall, making two of the three WCW stars go out on the apron before one of the outsiders went on the apron and, and all that, that they wanted to... Not so much a brawl, but they wanted a wrestling match. I guess I kind of wanted to ask you about that. Uh, I feel like, I guess I would have enjoyed a little bit more seeing the three WCW stars running down and brawling right away over wanting to start out the wrestling match. Yeah, but you know, these, like, the only difference is that Hall and Nash aren't, like, chicken shit heels. So... I get what you're saying where they would like come down and they'd chase them to the outside, but that's not, I don't know. That's not the story they're telling. I okay. think it makes sense. I guess I should have put that together since we, you know, well, it, lost if, the if whole... you have a different opinion, just say you don't need to agree with me. Yeah. Well, I guess, I don't know. I really didn't think that much into it beforehand, but before we get into this match, Mr. Beverly Hills, since this is the main event match of the night and the main event match for our great American bash of the beach series, I wanted yeah, to open that... up, one last mellow yellow on the air. <laughs> to it. With that, I'll kick it to you for the match. All right. So my favorite fan is this guy in the front row. He's wearing a denim shirt. And he's just, like, going nuts. He's doing, like, Luger's poses. He looks at Holland Nash and he does, like, the throat-cutting, like, gesture. He's the man he's like all his arms are up all, all the time he's my favorite um I, I do love so the announcers are kind of speculating who the third man is and they're like he might be in the stands he might be in the back and then bobby goes he might be sitting next to me and i love the idea that tony <laughs> shivani could be the third man what i thought bobby mentioned to tony he, like, the third man could be sitting right next to us, Tony, and all that. Yeah. How both Tony and Dusty got all upset <laughs> yeah. about it. It made me laugh, and I enjoyed Bobby's reasoning why he said that. Do you catch what Bobby said about that? No, I didn't. No. Bobby said that nope, he can't trust anybody, and he needs to right. question all, which I really enjoyed Bobby's reasoning behind that. Well, I think you're giving him too much credit. He thought it was Tony Schiavone or Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> you can't trust Tony Schiavone, you know. He wants <laughs> Eric Bischoff killed. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm trying to do a callback to the Great American Bash where Kevin Nash put Eric Bischoff to the announcer's table. And Tony said he wished you that he died? Not. He didn't say it out loud. He, he was thinking it for he can take 
for Tony Schiavone can take over play by play for both hours of Monday Nitro. He was thinking it. You're reading Tony Schiavone's mind. That's. I'm sorry, Mr. Beverly Hills, but that's. I took a few classes of mind reading when I was in college together. When we were mind college reading. Together. Yeah, mind reading. <laughs> you know, for you know, through the video scope, all these years later. You make it seem like we went to some like dumb psychic school. <laughs> we went to a solid state-funded public university. No mind reading classes available. Darn, I guess. It must have just been the philosophy of time class I took all those semesters back. Yeah, I think you you went to like the Hogwarts wing of our college. I I don't even know. I don't know what building was going on where you were. This all the wacky time classes. <laughs> well, before we get into the match, you know, talk about you know wacky classes. One, you know, for my major, I had to take two senior classes. So yeah, you know, one. In the fall semester, one in the spring semester, you would laugh at this, Mr. Beverly Hills. The, my fall semester senior class I had to take in the philosophy department. We okay. had it in Keel Hall. If you remember, that's the art department. Oh, no, yeah, right, yeah. Uh-huh. So I had my, my second-to-last senior philosophy class in the art building, in which absolutely made no sense at all. <laughs> yeah, I I always remember when I would walk on the or like run on the running trail that went behind all those buildings. There was always weirdness, weirdness afoot in the back of the art building. <laughs> yeah, oh, just some of those. Yeah, odd. Like like there's like one spot kind of like where they build like a clay oven. Yeah, thing. yeah, 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 yeah. The kiln in the back. Yeah, yeah. I'm super. I'm happy. You weren't running around during that my that fall semester because there's a few times when the weather was so nice. My class size, including the professor, was just the seven of us. And there's okay. a few times, you know, when the sem- the weather was so nice. Uh, for this night class, we sat outside around, kind of by a tree in a circle. And oh I'm my sure, god! Uh, what universe did you go to? So Freaking I, hippie, you! What is this? I am sure a lot of people thought. What are these seven weirdos doing oh talking about God. philosophy on the lawn in front of the art building? Jesus, did they give did they give you a, a diploma or did they just like write it on <laughs> on a like cereal box or something? They wrote it on a Aristotle book. <laughs> well, I would believe it because what the heck? <laughs> Sitting outside. What kind of plate? What kind of joint is this? In, in turn, some of the my, uh, English classes I had because my minor was creative writing. A few of us, a few of the class periods in my, like my poetry classes, we also sat outside too. So, oh my but, gosh, the, all this artsy fartsy crap. Here in the history department, we deal with real stuff, not no sit around the tree crap. <laughs> Here in the philosophy department, Daddy-O, in the English department. No, you're talking way too tough. Nuh-uh. You should be like, here in the history department, or here in the philosophy department, we sit around and we sing kumbaya on a circle outside. They don't even try them, don't Jesse Ventura voice, because you're not acting like it. 
Kumbaya, my lord. That's you guys. Kumbaya. So anyway, that that's what it is. Yeah. So that's also, what it is. Holland and Luger started out the match. I want to get yeah, your thoughts did. on those two being the the two to start out the match. Well, interesting choices, I guess. Real interesting choices. I mean, I guess when we see what happens, like you know, two minutes into it, but. I don't know. I just think it's interesting to have Luger start. He's not usually a guy that would kind of start a match, but whatever. I I guess I don't. They, they weren't bad by any means. Yeah, so. I, I understand having a Hall start out on the outsider since he's more. He he's definitely the, the workhorse. Yeah, he's a workhorse, and might as well save the big guy for later on in the match. Right. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, so, I mean, just they do start just a couple minutes in. There's kind of a fracas in the corner, and Sting tries to uh, Stinger Splash Hall, and he ends up Stinger Splashing Luger, question yeah, mark? No, I, the... This is one of two spots, I guess, made me question their the, the w, Team WCW's thinking. that This was yeah the first spot where I think hall and luger yeah, were the legal guys and nash somehow had luger on the apron and nash was like choking him on the on the turnbuckle like by like laying his chest on him or something like that then steen <laughs> yes, ran that over, yeah steen ran over to senior splash nash, nash like yeah. what the like what the hell steen like think about it <laughs> think about it a little bit but then then it came to me that in the you know with adrenaline run, running through his veins and all that, in a, in a big match fight, why would you really think things through all the way? No, I think you're thinking too much. That's, that's thinking, what I was thinking. That's that I, you were, this is you around the tree right now. Yes, that's <laughs> that's why when I thought of like okay, I'm I'm, I'm the two, the philosophers kicking inside jackets running through my veins, Gorilla. I'm like. Yeah. This is wrestling. This is, this is sim this is similar to when you guys when you give guys stars for trying hard. Because you don't know that. <laughs> you try to read their mind. <laughs> I'm trying to put my uh philosophy in the art department theories yeah. into existence. <laughs> the, the adrenaline was running through his veins. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, so yeah, I guess what what is your thoughts on Steen? Just Cena splashing Nash, not really giving it much thought about he could hurt Luger. I have no thoughts on that, but uh, he does knock out Luger very badly, knocked out to the floor. Um, and I want to know what your thoughts were on them knocking Luger out so early, like a minute and a half yeah. into the match. Luger probably has the best payday out of anybody for that pay-per-view. Um, Good call. <laughs> I guess to give the outsiders an equal footing for most of the match, I feel like if they're not a knockout, one of the three Team WCW members, Lux Luger was the best one to to do that with, which makes sense having Luger start, start out the match to, I guess, get as much money out of him for his pay-per-view appearance. But I guess uh, if they would have went with all three Team WCW members, I don't know... I guess we. I guess a third man would have came out a lot sooner than when he did. Yeah, I th I think you need to take one out for like heat dynamics. I yeah. think it's always hard to do uh, two bad guys and three good guys. Like uh, it, it just I don't know when we think about stories, when we think about movies, whatever. 
it should either be an even footing or it should be the the table should be tilted in the face in the uh, the bad guys' advantage in yeah. favor of them. I was uh, mentioning, so. you know, I was mentioning earlier about you know the flosser inside kicking in and running through my veins, and too much thought about the standard splash in Nash and Luger. Um, I guess to me, it made sense to. I guess, like you said, give the heels the, the even the level footing, because, like you said, it didn't make absolutely any sense having the two bad guys go in it against three good guys. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I feel like this, yeah. fact, like this moment and a moment that we'll get to later on in the finish were the two I think I think pivotal points of the match. Okay. On where, I, I want to say that Team WCW. The adrenaline was pumping a little bit too much, but whatever. I get away from this flop. How do you know? How do you know? How do you know when they're adrenaline? You gotta like test. You testing their blood. What what's going on? This might be because I'm having a little bit too much caffeine running through my veins. Is why I'm thinking there's too much adrenaline running through their veins. Adrenaline so much. Jeez, I'm gonna call you an endocrinologist. You're all about these freaking hormones. What can I say, Jack? I like my hormones. Jeez. Um, what did you do? Do you think if you were in 1996 and you saw Luger get knocked out this early in the match, do you would you think that's the third guy? And do you think WCW is trying to go for that? Do you want me to give my 2015 thoughts, or do you want me to try to put? Go in the 1996 Dirty Dogs minds and give you my thoughts. I guess I, I guess I would try. I guess I try to say you're 1996. Imagine you're watching it. What do you think? I guess if I was watching it live as an eight year old Dirty Dog, I wouldn't necessarily think that Luger is the third man because right. I think he's right around when I was ten or between ten and well, what, twelve. No, not necessarily like you're ten years old. Just okay. like well, I'm just gonna imagine say, you're in 1996. Okay, 1996 wrestling was still real to me. I wouldn't think Lux Luger's the third man at all. Absolutely not. Oh, okay. I would feel like, you know, like, like this sucks. You know, the outsiders have, I guess, gained an advantage for having it be equal footing. footing and, yeah, this just sucks that Lux Luger got taken out. Yeah, I, I guess I think, I think they're trying they're right now to pull the pull the fans in and and uh, kind of set up set them up with one more thing i think uh, the, i think this is a perfect play uh for more than one reason we talked about that it was a good idea to make it two on two we thought we said that it was a good idea maybe to get probably the roughest worker out of there but i think it also you know puts in the back of the minds like oh lex luger's the third guy he's the he took himself out, and he's going to come back later, and he's going to turn on WCW. I thought that was, you know, I think this is a good play, yeah, and well, I think it's adding think, another layer to it. I had to jump in, but the thing is, if Luger was the third man, he wouldn't necessarily know know that Steen or Macho was going to act the way Steen did and take himself take Luger out. If that makes yeah, any I mean, sense. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a suspension of disbelief thing. You just have to uh, you have to imagine that he was putting himself in the position to, to get taken out of the match. Yeah, makes yep. sense. Makes sense. I I guess I was just trying to think about that. I'm trying to yeah figure things out. But like you said, like you said, I need to suspend my disbelief 
and take the flosser inside of me and squash him for a few minutes. Yeah. <laughs> um, around this time, uh, Tony, for the very first time, he gives the outsiders names. He says, you know, the taller one is Nash, the other one is Hall. What, just now that we're at the end of this series, what's your thoughts on not giving them names until this final match and then uh, kind of uh, doing it in this style? What was your thoughts? I can't remember, but didn't Buffer give us their names when they were being nope. introduced? Nope, he just said the Outsiders. Okay, I, I'm happy they were at least given, I guess, in essence, uh, a team name as the Outsiders with Buffer. Um in ways it makes sense that Tony or whoever else didn't give us their names up to middle of the main event. In ways it would have been nice to get their names sooner, like one of the two Nitros leading up to um, the Bash at the Beach. But I'm happy at least, you know, since what will be what will come in, you know, ten, fifteen minutes after Tony giving us their names. It's nice for we can uh, finally Put names to both those guys for whenever when the third man shows up, we can give we can usually say who is who is who. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a I'm of a couple minds on it. I I like kind of the impromptuness of you know we're not going to say their names because they're not sanctioned, and then finally once obviously they've signed a contract for a match we'll you know now we'll give you their names i, I kind of like that um well yeah i, I kind of like think it. of it i was going to bring it up later on in the podcast but i might as well mention it now scott hall was on a two-part series on stone cold's podcast i want to say this would have been this uh probably in september early september and i think it was on the second part two of the interview Stone Cold men talked to Scott Hall about the NWO and all that, and I can't remember who Scott Hall credited this to, but originally they were think WCW was thinking of giving Scott Hall theme music right away and let having him walk down the the mm. ramp and all that, and I think can't remember who Scott Hall credited it to, but somebody whoever put their foot down about that and said, absolutely not. If this is gonna be an invasion on the first night on. May twenty seventh, Scott Hall needs to come down through the the you know, through the fans and the guys don't need to be na- named right away and we need to make this make these guys seem like they're actually invading the company, not give them a theme song, not give their names and all that stuff to make it actually seem like they don't have WCW contracts. Yeah, whoever made that decision definitely needs to be applauded because I think if. Uh, if Scott Hall comes down to music, it's dead right there. Yeah, dead, in, um, dead in the water. Yeah, I totally yeah, agree with you I, on that. I, I don't think it becomes half as big as it becomes. He comes out and he has a nameplate uh, when he's walking out and, and, they're, <laughs> and they're playing music. Uh, that, yeah, oh, man. That's a that's a big decision that somebody made, and someone made the right decision. Totally. When, yeah. When he when Scott Hall talked about that, I was thinking, "Sweet, I need to remember remember this for this this match and all that." And I guess it's right. really cool to get Scott Hall's insight about that because I never heard that story before from anybody within WCW or the three main 
NWO members. Right. Right now. Um, yeah. So I guess the, yeah, the next thing I thought was, oh, after Luger gets taken out on a stretcher, by the way, <laughs> I feel like, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what I feel about like Luger's injury or whatever, because it comes so quick and then they act as if like, I don't know. He had, like, a gunshot wound or something. I feel like, could they have, like, gimmicked a, a leg break or something? I, or, I guess, you know, now I think of it, of it, I feel like it was a little too much. The shut shot was a little, little yeah. too much because it seemed like, you know, either his neck or his head got squished underneath yeah. Nash and Steen. If not, I feel like somebody in the back should have, you know, talked into one of the announcers and said, okay, this is what we want you guys to put over for Luger's injury and go it from there. But if not, I want, wanted to have them, like I said, do some do some injury that's more prevalent for the announcers can sell it for the audience at home and for the fans in the arena could say, okay, Luger got taken out because of this instead of, okay, Luger got his head stuck yeah. between two guys at a turn post. Why is he being taken out? Yeah, because I feel like I mean, obviously, it is it's the worst of all real life injuries, but in a wrestling logic, head injuries are the most common. Like yeah. you said, it's by far the most prevalent. And for a stinger splash, which has been done ten million times and not resulted in someone being completely knocked out and incapacitated. Uh, it's it's kind of a weird weird thing that you know ended with uh, ended with him having a stretcher job. I don't think I've ever seen a stretcher job for uh, a stinger splash for a head injury in general. Yeah, I guess I want to get your thoughts. But after the the stretcher job, it seemed like Steen, it seemed like Colin Nash kept Steen in the match for a good part good part you know part of the match after Luger got sent out. Like, what's your thoughts on? Well, oh. before that, before that, I wanted to talk about how Sting showed a ton of fire coming off that. I guess I, uh, I like I like that because yeah. it put over Sting. I guess trying to one up, you know, since uh, Sting and Macho lost the, the one man advantage, it, I like seeing Sting having the heat, having the house of fire to take it to the outsiders on trying to gain that one man advantage that they had. And just having two guys against the outsiders. Yeah, I, I get. I thought the what they were going for is to show that uh, Sting was mad that his buddy got hurt. Uh, and I think if if that's what they were doing, I think that was a, a great job. I guess I'm not sure about the trying to regain the advantage part, but I I, I liked the the dynamic that like now his friend is got friend hurt, is out, so he's pissed off. So yeah, I guess you know, like in the heat of the moment, Steen's trying to take it out on not Holland Nash for his buddy being stretched out, and who knows how his what his current state is after the EMTs took him away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I- Exactly, exactly. And as he's doing this, so he, so <laughs> he, uh, okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. So Nash, Nash was able to give Snake Eyes Macho on the top turnbuckle. By the way, a nice throwback to his days as Vinny Vegas, which 
I and not that many people probably got. But well, I was going to say that I knew Diesel doing that in the WWF. I guess I haven't really watched many Vinnie Vegas or Oz matches to know that Nash was using that for his whole career. Well, that's the reason it's called Snake Eyes is because Vinnie Vegas. Makes sense. I guess I didn't put two and two together on that. Yeah, Snake Eyes, the, the dice thing. So it, his thing was a gambler. So it's uh, that's like Snake Eyes. So that was his finisher. Um, after which, which Tony goes, Jaw City. <laughs> and then... <laughs> Makes absolutely no sense. No, not at all. Jaw City. So then <laughs> the faces must have fired back because then uh, Dusty goes, who be bad now? 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 Like 20 times in a row. And I was wondering when he was going to stop saying who be bad now. He said it so many times. Like, he's just going to keep saying it. Yeah, I guess, you know, if we're not talking about what the announcer said, I was somewhere in there that Tony mentioned, like, finally had an epiphany, like, okay, one of our third guys got taken out and bunch of our other stars wanted to be considered yeah in you know the sixth contention why not have somebody come down and take over Luke's spot right and i i did like that and we'll i like and i liked uh that bobby agrees and then he's kind of saying that you know i've been saying all along we don't need to follow rules <laughs> <laughs> see and, and i you know i haven't had the highest of a sorry the highest of opinions on Bobby through this series. I think sometimes he kind of goes on his own own tangents, but I did like how even when he goes to the good guy side to the babyface side, he always still keeps his character. Oh. And and one, one you know thing I appreciate about that right uh huh and, and how when now Tony's finally advocating something that could be seen as a heel move. Bobby goes, "Well, yeah, finally, <laughs> <laughs> you know, of course, finally you're going to do that." Uh, I, I thought that was good, and I thought it was it was funny as well. Just made me think about uh, one of the two backstage interviews that Mean Gene had in front of the outsiders' locker room. I think the second one where Mean Gene was trying to sucker Gene or Bobby was trying to sucker Gene into. Paint off, paint off the security hey, guys yeah. to see who the third man is, and me and Gene's like, "Wait, I'm not going to snoop down to your level." <laughs> yep, yep. Uh huh. So I made, liked that too. Made me laugh about that when finally Tony's <laughs> snooping down to Bobby's level. Mm-hmm. Right, and yeah. So next to that long control segment that you were talking about, where they were cutting off uh, Sting, really at all turns. Um, you know, I included Nash hitting a tree slam and a big boot. Uh, Tony Tony advocates at this point that if the outsiders would win because you know they're in such control and Bobby goes well what if win Tony said that they're gonna meet him out back with two by fours and hit him in the head <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought that was tremendous that he's gonna <laughs> Tony is all for whatever Tony is WCW to the bone if they win we're gonna hit him with two by fours. <laughs> One, that's I guess you know times like this I enjoy hearing my play-by-play man get involved as much as Tony Schiavone did during the main event of uh, this match. You know, yes, and you know Tony, he can 
he sometimes, maybe a lot of times, whatever whatever side of the fence you fall on, pumps things up too much, um, and it comes off phony. It comes off false. But when it deserves that level, it fits perfect. And yeah, this is one of the few times that it fits perfect. Yes, exactly. It didn't happen a ton, but that's not his fault. First off, but when they build, when they can build a match correctly, and he has that same hyperbolic level when it matches, it comes across great. And I think he was. I, I think Tony was really a star in this in this match. Yeah, which I totally agree with you. That I know we were talking earlier in the review of this pay per view that we weren't really too. I guess high on Dusty and Bobby and all that, and you were mentioning that you felt like Bobby brought down the announced team this pay-per-view compared to the Great American Bash. I feel like, you know, like we were saying with Tony, I feel like, you know, the the three guys made up for it for this match alone. Yeah, they did. They were, they had good dynamics. Um, Do you think at all that... The outsiders were in too much of control in this match. Did you ever think like that they had too much of an advantage? No, I I don't think so. You know, you know, with Steiner splashing Nash and Luger, and you know, here in a few minutes, I feel like the heels gained the advantage when I, well, I feel like the faces were what were at least expecting it, at least. And not really thinking, th- uh, words of me ain't thinking things through. Where, okay. When the faces weren't, when the va- when the faces had a major gap in their defense, where the heels can take a cheap sh- take a ch- uh, cheap shot and st- take the advantage away from them and have the ball in their court for the advantage. If that makes any sense. Okay. See, th- I guess I can't entirely agree with you because. I, did they use any cheap shots? I think up to where we're at, I can't think of anything until the right. finish, but we'll get to that soon enough. Yeah, so that's what I'm talking about. They gained this advantage not through cheap shots. I guess not really so so much. I feel like Hall and Nash are showing up to that where we're at. I feel like they're showing like they can at least move for move, keep up with uh, Steen and S- Savage. Right. So what I'm asking is, they were they were way more than keeping up with them. They were outpacing them by a lot. And do you think that was too much? I don't think so. I guess I do. Okay. Well, I I don't think so because these two outsiders had what last six weeks to eye up their three opponents for the night. They had time to yeah study the study their three opponents to know what what to expect. But that's that's the f- that's the kind of fan I am, though. I kind of like right. seeing Hall and Nash just have the upper hand most of the match. Sure, because I, th- I guess I thought this was pure domination outside of, like, three moves. And then also they get the third guy. I, I don't know. I guess I thought, I don't know. I thought it was too tilted, but maybe that's just me. But then again, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't matter how long the listeners of this podcast have been listening to to it. They know that you and I have have two completely different views on what we like in professional wrestling. 
right on, and that's okay. But can, I like I we like can that. agree to disagree and still be bros. I like that. I feel like that gives us a, a, dyna- a cool dynamic for this podcast. <laughs> rock on, rock on. Um, Sting did hit a, a super nice basement dropkick on Nash, which Tony then just like put in the pooper because he's like kick to the gut. <laughs> I'm like, dude, he did not kick him in the gut. He's selling his leg and he hit him right in the knee. And then when it's clear that that's happened, cause Nash is selling the knee, he doubles down and he's like, he kicked him in the gut, but it looks like one of his feet must've hit his knee too. And I'm like, <laughs> Tony, just admit that you messed up. You don't need to be like, eh. Well, I'm totally right, but it looks like he might have grazed his knee, and that's why he's selling. Come on, Tony. I guess that's one thing I I have to pick. Put JR above Tony Schiavone on my top. If I had to list my play-by-play, man, JR is definitely higher than than Tony because that is because it seemed like that Jim Ross is willing to admit his mistakes during the broadcast, unlike <laughs> Tony. Yeah, and then and then Tony's like. Uh, Sting, you know, one thing I know about him is he can really take a beating and he, and he doesn't go like take a beating and keep going or take a beating and win. He's always just like, he can really take a beating. <laughs> That's half like, all right, I guess. Okay, Tony, whatever you say. <laughs> so finally Sting fires up and he, and he jumps over Nacho. <laughs> He jumps over Nash to get to Nacho. Here's here's a funny a funny thing today. Speaking of me tripping over my words, say in class, I was talking about the War of 1812 and I was talking about a ship. And I totally and I totally go, we had some pretty nice shits. <laughs> and, and I you know, I said it so clearly, and the kids just like looked at me and I'm like, whoops. <laughs> I like that reaction. Shrug your shoulders. Whoops. <laughs> and and we just all had a laugh together. I mean, there's no, there was no chance that I was gonna like pretend like I didn't say it uh, or anything like that. So I'm like, whatever. Whoops. I am, I'm happy you didn't, you didn't try to Tony Schiavone yourself and exactly. try to cover it up. Yep. Yep. And I feel like we, I feel like we grew as a group just to be like, yeah, I can laugh at myself. Whoops. Yeah, I said shit. I I guess I like when I was a student in grade school or in college. I enjoyed having a teacher, professor. I guess you do like what you did. Just acknowledge that mistake and can laugh at your laugh at yourself and not take yourself too serious and continue on. Yeah, and I definitely don't don't take myself too seriously. <laughs> so, so Sting jumped over Nash and he uh, tagged in Macho here, and and uh, somebody I think it's Tony goes, Randy Savage is ready and he's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, and he's nuts. Uh, <laughs> so Savage took over on the Outsiders, but then right away he's cut off with a big low blow, and here yeah. you. You wanted to analyze these last few minutes, so I'll turn it over yes. to you. So, yeah, Mach was running wild from the nut hut and all that, and it was a house <laughs> of fire. And like you He's said, ready? He's nuts. You like you said, Nash, Kyle, um, Kyle Savage mm-hmm. in a low blow. I feel like this was like the the second pivotal point in my opinion in the match, where you know first one with Luger being taken out, now with Savage getting low blowed, then uh. And the guys were guys were laying around, you know that. Then Hulk Hogan came down, came down, and 
Tony and Dusty went nuts on the Hulkster coming down. Hulkster's the savior of WCW. Hulkster's going to demolish the Outsiders. Hulkster's taking over Lex Luger's spot. And something I'm surprised the WWE Network didn't edit out, because I feel like in previous NWO documentaries that they have, Bobby questioned what side Hogan is on. And the, and the nope. announcers went yep. bananas. He's here, but what that. side is he on? Yeah, and they're really pissed. <laughs> Tony and Dusty are like, oh, what would you even ask that, Bobby? <laughs> and I of course he's on that side. One thing that I noted when Hogan was walking down down the ring, he did not make any eye contact with the with fans' aisle sign. And it's like he just, that is true. He stormed down to the ring because he meant business. This was super important. He didn't want to take his eyes off his mission and get distracted by looking at the fans. Yes. Uh-huh. So Yeah, yeah he, he came down got, a man possessed. Hogan got in the ring. Holland Nash bailed, which I felt like was an awesome touch. Then Hogan ripped off his, off his shirt. I feel like this moment, Mr. Beverly Hills, is when Hulkamania died. A bit at, at the very least, a big blow was dealt. Hogan push because he was what Randy Anderson, the referee. I believe so. Randy Anderson was you know kind of standing in the corner. Hogan walked over to the corner, pushed him, pushed him away. Hogan backed himself in the corner, dropped the leg on a savage. I noted that a few people in the crowd in the front row jumped up to their feet and started to applaud Hogan for that first leg drop. Yeah, I think more out of surprise than anything. Then Hogan hit the second leg drop, and we hear Bobby screaming in our ears, Hulk Hogan betrayed WCW. <laughs> yes, he did. He most certainly did that. And when Hogan dropped the second leg, Hall jumped on the apron to join the Hulks in the ring. Moments later, Nash joined, joined in, and the Outsiders... Outsiders started to high-five Hogan. I felt like that was a good touch to for the reveal that the Outsiders and Hogan surprised WCW in the world. Got it. So shocked the world. Sting came in and Hall punched him out and Sting fell backwards and back to the outside. Hall drugged Savage into the middle of the ring and that's when Hogan also threw Randy Anderson out of the ring and Bobby asked what have i said all these years about hogan <laughs> yep yep you're and i have to make my apology to bobby heenan bobby <laughs> you were right for all these years i'm sorry i ever doubted you yeah and this is why you know if for anybody who criticizes bobby for uh, when Hogan is coming out saying what side is he on, you know, if he, he telegraphed it, whatever, whatever. Um, this is why that move was correct um, is because it would be out so out of character for Bobby to be like, yeah, Hogan's savior WCW. You know, he's always hated Hulk Hogan, like through and through. So, so I, I, I thought, yeah, because, yeah, Bobby's hated, you know, Hogan for in the AWA. Bobby hated Hogan in the WWF. Bobby hated Hogan in the WCW. So why yeah. not keep hating Hogan? Yeah, there's no reason why he would turn face on Hogan five minutes after hating him for 15 
or 20 or more. <laughs> After Scott Hall drug Hall, uh, Savage in the middle of the ring, Hogan bounced off the ropes a couple times and hit the third leg drop. And Dusty tells Hogan that he sold his soul <laughs> to the devil himself. Sold his soul to the devil himself. Then Hogan went for the cover, and Hall went down for the count, and Nash also went down for the count too, which made me laugh. <laughs> hey, they're cheering, they're cheering on their buddy. Then I heard, I don't know if it was just me, but I swore I heard some of the crowd chanting along with Hall, and you know, count, you know, counting the three. And I did note that if you fans, if you go back and watch this match, when Hall is going down to count the three, I saw a guy in a purple shirt jumping up and down for the three count, super excited that Hogan, Hall, and Nash beat Team WCW. You know, I think you're giving too much... Um, you're putting too much weight on this. Even Probably. when I was reading your notes, I think you're putting too much weight on this. I definitely think this is more surprise Probably, than, no. than heel fans. I think if this is just people who were, who were very surprised at it and uh, are reacting that way. Then right when uh, Hall counted the three, Tony tells the listeners at home that I believe it's just he, as in Tony Schiavone or WCW, won't acknowledge that count. Yeah, I uh, I can't remember if he said I won't or we won't or something like that. I, I could yeah, well, because, won't, yeah. I well, because Bobby, no, because Bobby's like, what happens next? Yeah. And that's when Tony's like, we're not acknowledging that count or yeah, something like Yeah, like that. you said, Bobby frankly questioned. What happens to us? What happens to WCW? And let's see, then Dusty, yeah, then, yeah, then, as you noted, I guess I agree with you that I probably read, read too much into it. I guess I was looking at the 1996 fans in the eyes of seeing 2015 fans of being smart to the business and wanted to cheer the heels and boo the faces when 96, they wanted to cheer the faces and boo the heels. Yeah, I mean, this does, you know, this is the start of that, but it's not, I think it doesn't really come around until a couple months later. Uh, so before we, I guess, before I dig more into the notes and slow down time, I want, why, you know, like we always do, give a, give a rating for this match. The winners, I guess this match ended in a no contest. Yeah. And I feel like because of that, I can't rate this match, I cannot give any stars to the no contest, but Why are we reading it? I guess, but you know, because of what happens in the reveal, I'd give this four and a half stars. <laughs> Remember, we're two different kind of fans, Daddy. Four and a half stars. What? What do you rate this, Mister Beverly Hills? Oh man, this has got to be like, uh, may, I don't know, maybe like two and three quarter star match. Something like that. You know, I guess kind of think of it. I, I guess four and a half stars are probably a little too high. I'll bump it down to three and a half stars. <laughs> I'm going with you. That you rated this four and a yeah. half stars. It's nearly a perfect match. You rated this, erase that three and a half stars. So then might as well get more into it. That uh, I guess, yeah, right after Bobby frantically questioned what happens to WCW, I saw the first piece of trash being flown into the <laughs> ring and hit Macho Man. Yes, it did, yes. Then Bobby had a great famous line, I never thought I'll see, I, not, I never thought I'll see people throw debris 
at Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Debris, I love it. Then me and she went to went to the arena to talk to the guys when their trash was trash when the arena was being filled with trash. And I had to take a note that the WWE did a good job editing editing out a fan trying to get into the ring on the hard camera side and being kicked out by Hall. Yeah, I guess, to be honest, I didn't even notice that they did a good job editing it out. Well, because I remember watching this <laughs> pay-per-view on VHS, and, yeah, I listened to a few podcasts leading up to, you know, during our series leading up to this, and they mentioned it, too. I'm like, okay, I should mention this, too, that, that to praise WWE's edit job because a few weeks back I was dissing WWE's edit jobs. So good yeah. job, WWE Network. Then you know the WWE. Yeah, w, you know we've heard this Hogan heel promo a million of times, and people's gave their opinion on it a trillion times. I guess, Mister Beverly Hills, how do you feel Hogan did on his first heel promo? I thought he did a fantastic job. Uh, I thought uh, this was a great foundation for what's to come and whatever missteps there were this is a great chapter one and I thought this promo was really spot on I am happy Hogan I gave reasons on why he decided to turn heel and join up with Scott Hall and Kevin Nash yeah he gave a few reasons and a few pretty good reasons and I really like how me and Gene also I guess Put over in a way Hogan's heel turn on showing how much how disgusted he is on Hulk Hogan turning heel and and also Mean Gene putting over how, how him and Hogan go back many years to like the early eighties. Right. Uh huh. So uh. Yeah. Well, I yeah. So I guess do you have any other thoughts about this promo at all? Uh, you know if uh. If it weren't for me, you'd still be selling meat out of the back of a truck in Minneapolis, Dirty Dog. <laughs> you know, Mr. Beverly Hills, it wasn't for me. You'll still be teaching pieces of meat down in Duluth, Minnesota. I don't know. <laughs> I wish. I wish I was teaching pieces of meat in Duluth. Nash is down. He's got Nash down. Savage. And then there was one, and it was Sting, and he didn't look too good. Hulkamania! Hulk Hogan is here! Hulk Hogan's here! Hulk Hogan is in the building! You're damn right he is! Go get him, Hulkster! Yeah, but whose side is he on? Go, what are you talking about? Whose side is he on? What are you talking about? Yes, sir! Get him, Hogan! Go get him, baby! Come on and get some of this now! Who's bad now, boy? Hulk Hogan arrived. Hulk, Hulk, Hulk. What is oh he doing? Oh my God! Is he the third man? He's the third man. What oh. the hell is going on here? Hulk Hogan has betrayed WCW. He is the third man. Look in at this. this picture. Oh my God! What the hell is going on? Oh my God! Are you kidding me? I, probably the lowest shot ever given to professional wrestling. That man did right there, Hulk Hogan. Let's get everybody out of the dressing room right now and kick his rear end. Unbelievable, brother. You just what have I been saying the all these years? Huh? What have I been saying all these years? Oh, you my, oh my God. 
A career it's, of a lifetime. It's right down the drain, kid. I hope you love it. Can you, you see just sold your soul to the devil. See those little hulksters with the tears rolling down their face right now? We are not going to even acknowledge that three count. Now what happens to us? What happens now to WCW? There was no three count. I never thought I would say that he's yellow, but he may be wearing red, but he's wearing red and yellow. What do we do now? What a uh, low. I'll tell you what. Uh, this is a unbelievable situation right here at Bash at the Beach. Hulkamania, the third guy with the outsiders, betrayed WCW. Can't talk. Well, I told you so. Enjoy it, my friend. You got to look yourself in the mirror. You got to stand up and look in the mirror. There you go. That's right. I never thought I'd see people throwing debris at Hulk Hogan. At Hulk Hogan. I knew it should have been done a long time ago. I guess this was premeditated all the way back from 94. I guess this is what it was. He had a ticker tape parade. He sure did. At Disney in a car. People lined the streets for Hulk Hogan. What do we got here? We got a fan coming in to try to help matters out. Well... Well, he didn't last long. Incredible. What a show. Everyone is shocked, Tony. Look at the ring. The most incredible scene. And Savage, his best friend, one of his best friends, Hogan turns on. Ladies, I, I, we're, I don't know where we're going. He, we has, going? he has no, slept with the why. devil. We need to get someone out there and... Okay, now us three. Now where do we go from here? Oh my God! What about Gordon? Nitro tomorrow? What happens Gene, on Nitro? Gene, I, Gene, I don't know what you think of this, my man, but this has to be the absolute worst moment in my broadcasting career, and we're all witnessing it. Go Look ahead, at Oakland. He looks like he's going to break up. Go ahead, Gene. Hulk Hogan. Excuse me. Excuse me. What in the world are you thinking? Me, Gene, the first thing you need to do is to tell these people to shut up if you want to hear what I got to say. I have been with you for so many years. For you to join up with the likes of these two men absolutely makes me sick to my stomach. think that these people here and a lot of other people around the world have had just about enough of this man this man and you want to put yourself in this group you've got to be kidding me well the first thing you gotta realize brother is this right here is the future of wrestling you can call this the new world order of wrestling brother these two men right here came from a great big organization up north and everybody was wondering who the third man was well who knows more about that organization than me brother i've been there i've done that you have made the wrong decision in my opinion well let me tell you something i made that organization a monster i made people rich up there i made the people that ran that organization rich up there brother and when it all came to pass, 
The name Hulk Hogan, the man Hulk Hogan, got bigger than the whole organization, brother. And then billionaire Ted, amigo, he wanted to talk turkey with Hulk Hogan. Well, billionaire Ted promised me movies, brother. Billionaire Ted promised me millions of dollars. And billionaire Ted promised me world caliber matches. And as far as billionaire Ted goes, Eric Bischoff and the whole WCW goes, I'm bored, brother. That's why these two guys here, the so-called outsiders, these are the men I want as my friends. They're the new blood of professional wrestling, brother. And not only are we gonna take over the whole wrestling business with Hulk Hogan and the new blood, the monsters with me, we will destroy everything in our path, Mean Gene. Look at all of this crap in this ring. This is what's in the future for you if you want to hang around the likes of this man Hall and this man Nash. As far as I'm concerned, all of this crap in the ring represents these fans out here. For two years, brother, for two years, I held my head high. I did everything for the charities. I did everything for the kids. And the reception I got when I came out here, you fans can stick it, brother. Because if it wasn't for Hulk Hogan, you people wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for Hulk Hogan, Eric Bischoff would be still selling meat from a truck in Minneapolis. And if it wasn't for Hulk Hogan, all these Johnny-come-latelys that you see out here, wrestling wouldn't be here. I was selling out the world, brother, while they were bumming gas to put in their car to get to high school. So the way it is now, brother, with Hulk Hogan and the new world organization of wrestling, brother, me and the new blood by my side, what you gonna do when the new world organization runs wild on you? What you gonna do? What are you hey, gonna don't do? Don't touch me, I'm gonna flee the lawyers. Tony, Bobby, Dusty, damn it, let's get back to you. All right, we have seen the end of Hulkamania. For Bobby the Brain Heenan, for, Dust, for Dusty Rhodes, Gene Okerlund, I don't know. I'm Tony Schiavone. Hulk Hogan, you can go to hell. We're out of here. Straight to hell. Best line of the night was at the end of the show when Tony said, before closing out the show, I don't know. I'm Tony Schiavone, Hulk Hogan. You can go straight to hell. I'm out of here. Straight to hell. Yeah, you can go down. Straight to hell. I love it. That was good. That was really good. So let's take a break. We can catch our breath and we'll be back for our jobber and our main event set of star to wrap up the Great American Bash at the Beach Tour. 
Mr. Beverly Hills, and I'm going to use, you know, the internet's dead. The internet's done. I'm using the phone, and I'm using this here podcast, Main Event Status Radio, to launch my career in phone broadcast singing. I'm going to take this phone. The CMAs are here. The AMAs are here. Everybody's here, and they want to hear me sing. <laughs> Ain't I great? I can hit the record button and I'm the Dirty Dog Darcy here with Eric Allen of What a Maneuver. Um, just like yeah, we, we did. Dumped, we dumped Joe for this one. Yes. Look at that guy. Joe turned heel on us. So, <laughs> so Eric, I want to talk to you about uh, Hogan's heel turn at the. Let's see, could, could a Hogan heel turn before the show had the same impact and influence it did on pro wrestling and Hogan's uh, career? Um, no, I don't. I don't really think so. I think that that was the right. I mean, arguably the right moment for Hogan to turn heel would have been like five years earlier when everybody had grown tired of the Hulk Hogan "eat your vitamins, say your prayers" bullshit. Um, but um, like that was if they were gonna do it, that was the right time, and the right place, um, and for him to join up with the other WWF guys and sort of stab WCW in the back, it made a lot of sense, and it it worked, even though uh, <laughs> Bobby the Brain Heenan tried to spoil it before it happened. But so I, I've heard stories before that Bobby actually didn't know Hogan was the third man until Hogan's actual heel, heel turn, and Bobby said interviews years later that. That was his character that he played all those years when he did color when for yeah. Hogan matches and all that. Right, just trying to because um, he always thought that Hogan had a bad streak in him and he was just waiting for the, the right time to turn. Yeah, I can totally see that. Um, either way, yeah, it was it was definitely the right time for Hogan to turn heel, and it and it was um, for as bad as most of his stuff in the NWO was. Um, that one moment was very good and the way the audience turned on him and threw all that garbage in the ring and stuff is just a great 10 minutes of TV and and I have to ask who better than Hogan to turn heel at Bash of the Beach 96 to join up with with Razor Ramon and and Diesel to form this I guess outsider WWF group that's invading WCW yeah Yeah, nobody that was that was the right guy. It was the right time. It was the, the right faction. Um, like Joe and I have a lot of problems with the NWO, and we are knee deep in 1998 at this point, and the NWO is showing no signs of slowing down. And there's whatever 35 different dudes in the NWO, and they've overextended, and um, just tired of hearing the same Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff promos every week, but. Um, on whatever was it July 7th 1996 that was kind of a kind of a perfect moment um it was really it was really like the best thing that they could have done um and there was nobody else in in WCW that could have had that impact of being the third man um the only the only thing that would have been close is if they had brought another big WWF guy over like a Bret Hart or a Shawn Michaels or something but um at that time that just wasn't going to happen so yeah, I, I listened to Kevin Sullivan's podcast over at MLWRadio.com, and Sul- Sullivan was talking about that if Hogan didn't, I guess, didn't commit to turning heel at the bash, 
he was sick and having steam turn heel and join the NWO. Would, <laughs> I don't know. That's been out for years, I guess. Yeah. Would that have been? Would that, would that have worked if Steen would have turned heel and joined up with Hall and Nash? Um, I yeah, I mean, I think so. Just because Sting was such a dyed-in-the-wool WCW guy and he was such a beloved babyface that um, it kind of would have worked, although I don't think people were ready to turn on Sting in the same way they were ready to turn on Hogan. Um, people were just sick of Hulk Hogan's character at that point. Um, you know, like people had already grown tired of Hogan, um, and so him turning heel refreshed him and kind of gave the people what they wanted. I think Sting may have been a bigger surprise even, but um, it, I, I don't know. I, I think that I think that would have been an interesting alternate reality sort of um, scenario to sort of to work out in your head, but it, it would have changed everything. Although I, I think that because the same creative minds were in charge, you know, the Eric Bischoffs and eventually the Vince Russo's and stuff. Um, I don't know that it would have changed much. I still think that the WC, that the NWO would have outlived its um, usefulness by years and years just because of the number of t-shirts that they sold. And eventually it would have become similarly creatively bankrupt and um, people would have still gotten sick of the NWO. Um, but it would have, it would have, Changed how those early storylines worked. I was thinking, I was just thinking, if it was going to be a WWF guy, not Hogan, do you think it would have had the same impact as Macho Man would have turned heel? Um, nah, I don't think so. I didn't mean maybe. I mean, obviously, eventually, make, or Macho Man did join the NWO and turn on WCW, but um, at that point, Macho Man was among the sort of the upper card. The, you know, the main event guys, so to speak, in WCW. Macho Man was the dude that was consistently having the best matches um, in 1996. The only guys on the roster that were that were on his level were like Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko, you know, like guys in the cruiserweight division or guys that were kind of lower mid-card guys. Um, Macho Man still had, he had a lot left in the tank at that point. He had like a really great match with Ric Flair on an episode of Nitro. Um before he turned and joined the NWO. So it could have been interesting, but I, it would not. De- it definitely would not have had the same impact that um, Hogan turning did, just because, you know, like, Hogan sort of transcends professional wrestling in a way that most people don't. Although, um, which is the same reason why his sort of racist rant recently um, has been such big news, um, despite the fact that so many, you know, like great and popular wrestlers have had similar dirt sort of thrown at them over the years. Um, like Hogan is a pop culture icon in a way that nobody else is. So I don't think anybody else could have had the same impact that he did. Uh, I guess what's f- uh, final thoughts on the trio that was Hall, Nash, and Hogan? Um, that moment was pretty good, but pretty much everything that they did after that was Paul and Nash were sort of divorced from Hogan in a really weird way. Um, like, it was always Hogan and Bischoff were together, and then Hall and Nash would be, you know, if they had managed to show up, if, you know, they weren't off drinking or hanging out, they actually managed to show up for the shows. They were kind of doing their own thing. Um, like... As soon as as soon as that happened, the NWO became a lot less interesting because they weren't the outsiders anymore. They were part of the show. Um, 
And so once you sort of solve that mystery as to why they were there and they just became wrestlers, it, it, they lost a lot of their mystique. Then I guess I'll let you do some plugs. Um, yeah, you can go to onthestick.com. Um, that's like our main blog site. Um, you can check out What a Maneuver there. That's our sometimes weekly wrestling podcast where we talk about um, we're going like week by week and checking out all the stuff that we did um, or everything that happened in WCW, WWF and the, the Monday Night Wars era. We've got a new movie podcast coming out soon. There's Photon Torpedo Bros, which some of our friends cover old episodes of Star Trek. There's uh, And uh, wrestling podcaster Jason Mann has a show on uh, old Alfred Hitchcock movies, which is worth checking out too. All that stuff's on onthestick.com. same room but everything's different you can fight the sleep but not the dream things ain't cooking in my kitchen strange affliction wash over me hulk hogan and the outsiders couldn't conquer the southern skies gorilla all right we're back we're back with the thrilling conclusion to thrilling main event discussion <laughs> Start with the who's your jobber, my man? This man, we gave him too much credit on the series. Joe Gomez. <laughs> for he's definitely the jobber of the freaking series for, for the sure. series and for this pay per view. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, he's he's definitely the jobber of the series. My jobber, 
of the of the pay per view is uh, Jim Duggan <laughs> uh, um, and his uh, nut sweat tape. <laughs> oh my god, his freaking nut sweat tape. I I hate it. I really hate it. Uh, and I I hate that he took most of that match. I I hate Jim Duggan. <laughs> my main event status star, I guess, for one for the series, um, to give somebody that I guess somebody that blew away my whatever expectations I had going into this series has to be the guy, the same guy that is my main event status star for this pay per view. That's Dean Malenko because, you know, for, especially for this pay-per-view, he pulled out a great match out of Disco, Disco Inferno that I never expected. Like we mentioned during the review of the review for this podcast, Disco, I feel like Dean brought out, a, or I guess Disco brought out a different kind of style of match with out of Dean because Disco wasn't the wasn't as small and it wasn't as slight as the other stars we've seen Dean Malenko fight on Nitro and at the last pay-per-view. So, and I was texting one, one of my buddies over the last few nights and was former guest James Benson and, and I told him that, yeah, one guy that I've grown much appreciation for towards for his ring psychology is Dean Malenko, that he was great in 1996 and I'm happy you convinced me to watch six Nitros in these two pay-per-views <laughs> where I can see how much of uh gem WCW had in Dean Malenko. Yeah, I I was going so the first two before I even thought before you even spoke the the main adventures of the series, I went back and forth on Dean Malenko and Arn Anderson were the the two biggest. I guess I leaned towards Arn because he also really excelled in promo work, but Dean Malenko was sure and he wrestled I think on every show. He was tremendous. Um, tonight, I think I have to go just for historical significance. I got it with Hulk. Understandable. Yeah, totally agree with you. And I guess in the kind for the series, Arn Anderson, I guess if I have a runner up for the main event, instead of a star for yeah. the series, definitely has to be Arn that, you know, the tag matches we've seen and the series on the pay-per-views, I, the, the tag matches Arn was in, involved with besides i think the one for this show i was high high on it was that was one of my highest rated match on perch every every night night of every show we, we reviewed so right. Arn, Arn was great yeah for sure and i guess i wanted wanted since we gave our jobbers and our main events had a star for the pay-per-view and for the series before we i guess wrap it up for the for the night that uh I guess one last time for I guess one last chance for me to give these two guys a plug on the on the Bash of the Beach uh, shows that MSL and Kevin Sullivan did. The MSL uploaded the two parts on his website, and he has a message board, you know, for on his website. And I asked MSL his thoughts on what would, if it would have if Shawn Michaels would have been the third guy, how well it would have would have done. And my idea was. Shawn Michaels coming down, joining Hall and Nash as a third guy, forming the NWO to take on Hulk Hogan in WCW because Hogan held them down up north, brother. Okay. And before, I guess, I guess what the hell, MSL replied saying that in his opinion, Michaels as, as a third man would have been better than people wanting Bret Hart as a third man, but Michaels yes. wouldn't have had, wouldn't have been as successful 
as a third man compared to Hogan because Hogan brought in the mainstream attention and all and all that because this was the first time we saw Hulk Hogan be the villain on a national scene and with Hogan turning in you know turning with the NWO the NWO became a pop culture phenomenon and MSL doesn't believe that anybody else could have pulled it off to that level. I guess, what's your thoughts on MSL's opinion on Shawn Michaels being the third man? And what's your thoughts on, I guess, in 2015, me wanting to see, in 1996, Shawn Michaels as the third man? No, I'd pretty much fall in line with what MSL said on that one. Um, in my opinion, I feel like it would have been successful with Shawn Michaels, sure. Uh, I think that would have been more your standard invasion just a few months before eventually being slayed. I think Hogan is as the third man is really something that, you know, made it like you, like you mentioned the, uh, the pop culture phenomenon that it became. So, yeah, I guess I want, wanted to ask about Michaels as a third man, because, you know, Michaels can bring out some of the best matches and it would be cool to see Sean, 96 against guys like Arn Anderson, Ric Flair, Dean Malenko, and the like, and could have great matches. And just wanted to ask you about that too to get your thoughts because I do agree with I do agree with you and MSL that Hogan was the best choice. And mm-hmm. I guess kind of think about it now. Who I don't know anybody else in WCW in 1996 that could have pulled it off like Hulk Hogan did. Right. Yeah. I don't know if anybody could have. Uh, I think uh, Hulk Hogan was the was the reflection, and I mean, like, when you think about what he said, you know, when he said these two are up north, well, I was I was the man up north, um, and I'm bored. I I think that's tremendous. <laughs> I I thought his promo was just fantastic. I guess kind of you know we, you mentioned that line from Hogan, you know, mm-hmm. in '96 Michaels wasn't didn't have that chance to be the guy yet, and if he would have jumped to WCW, he would have had been out of his contract a few months before, and he most likely wouldn't have had the WWF title at WrestleMania 12. Yeah, it was, Yeah, he would have had to do a lot different. Yeah, so. so I guess what's your overall thoughts on the series? Are you happy that we that are you happy that we did these six nitros and two pay-per-views? Yeah, definitely. Uh, it was it was a good one, and it was it, it uh, it definitely covered the highs and the lows of of WCW and what they were all about. And I really like you know, watching this six weeks of Nitro because and these two pay per views because I totally forgot how much 1996 WCW was in ways like a circus that you know we we saw something completely pretty completely different in each match that we saw on Nitro or on the pay per views. And okay, if I didn't like the the Silver Dollar on the pole match with Big Bubba and and uh, John Tenta, I would get the one of the two great cruiserweight t- cruiserweight matches. Or and if that's not your thing, you'll get Arn Anderson and Chris Benoit take on Soli and the Giant. If you don't want that, you get the awesome awesome main event match of Team WWF against Team WCW. Right. Yep. I'd agree with you. So we might as well wrap it up for the podcast. You guys can listen to us on our website. MainEventStatus.com. That's MainEventStatus.com. You guys can check us out on SoundCloud. Just search us out in the in the library master feed or whatever. Main Event Status Radio or 
go to this URL, soundcloud.com slash main event status radio. That's all on word. Soundcloud.com slash main event status radio. Mr. Beverly Hills, we are on iTunes. How can they search us out there? Uh, you just search main event status radio. Please subscribe, uh, rate, and comment. Uh, push us up the ranks, man. We want to beat Jim Ross and the Ross Report because we're tired of his saucy attitude. Hashtag sauce it. <laughs> you got it. Don't hashtag sauce it. We want to push it down. Hashtag saucy attitude. <laughs> That's better. We are on Facebook, just like SoundCloud and iTunes. Search us out in the, in the little query thing, Made Event Status Studio, or go to facebook.com slash Made Event Status Studio. That's all one word, just like our SoundCloud URL. Facebook.com slash Radio. Mr. Beverly Hills, you and I are on the Twitter machine. How can listeners of Minivent Status Radio follow you there? You just search me at Beverly Hills M-E-S. You can search me out. How about you? Dirty Dog M-E-S. <laughs> That's dog as in D-A-W-G. Dirty Dog, M-E-S on the Twitter machine. Mr. Beverly Hills, for you, for WCW in 1996, I am the Dirty Dog Darcy. Adios, main eventers. Who be bad now? Who be bad now? Who be bad now? Who be bad now? Time when I said goodbye And now I'm back And I'm ashamed to cry Ooh, baby Here I am Signed to deliver I'm yours Ooh, yeah When I said goodbye And now I'm back And I'm ashamed to cry Ooh, baby Here I am Signed to deliver I'm yours Amazing. It should get, you should get much more time than anyone else. That is our show. Good night, everybody.